Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Linux for Everyone, and welcome home. This is episode 55, and I am joined, of course, by Jerry Morrison and Mr. Schickel. Hello, hello. Now, I don't know. Uh, I just want to say this up front. I don't know how long Schickel will be with us because uh, as I'm recording this, it's about 7 o'clock my time in Croatia. But his time, it is the middle of the work day, and he kind of has a new job. So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna shut up and let him tell you why he might have to leave. All right. Well, you see, once upon a time, I applied for a job with this really cool company called System Seventy Six, and I got that job. That's amazing. Oh, That's awesome. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't react at all because I've known this for like a week, and 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 we did another segment uh, like three days ago where he talked about getting the job, and so yeah, it's this is a, a nice fun way to spend a lunch, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, excellent. Well, thank you for spending your lunch with us. Yeah, glad you're here. This okay. might this might work out. I so I hadn't I hadn't planned on Chickle being here. I, I literally made I made the call on Jitsi at our scheduled time and Schickle was the first person to answer and I thought he would be working and that's why uh he and I recorded a segment about his privacy journey and his his joining system 76 and a couple other uh a couple other things that that might make it into this episode. We did that on Friday about 3 4 days ago. And uh and so now I'm kind of winging it. I'm not exactly sure what the structure of this episode looks like. But what I do know is I have a nearly one-hour conversation with the co-founder of Mycroft AI. We go a lot into uh, the issues with privacy and the issues with having a a virtual assistant tagging along wherever you are in life. And um, anyway, so that's a very good conversation. I think you guys are going to enjoy that. And then Schickel and I talked a bit about uh, a non-Addy and kind of caught up with his privacy journey. And then later on, we have this really long conversation about uh, the Mac and Linux ecosystem in light of the the M1, M1 Pro, and M1 Max launches. Uh, So Mm -hmm. before we get into Community Voice, because you guys had... Mm -hmm. uh, (laughs) Linux for Everyone listeners had a metric ton of feedback. I have never received this much feedback when I was doing a solo show. It doesn't, in 53 episodes, it never happened. I never had, I could launch a mini site with all of the recommendations and insights and 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 emails that you guys sent. And we are so grateful for that. We can't possibly read them all, uh, but we're going to try and parse through it and get some of that information out there. Um, right now though, I want to, Jerry, I want to catch up with you a little bit and and see how yeah. your privacy journey is going, uh, especially in light of the study that came out. Well, first off, before we jump into that, I just want to I want to note how completely on brand it is for Schickel to just like completely be chaotic good and show up uh, <laughs> when he's not expected at all. <laughs> completely on brand. I love it so much. You cannot you can't predict a Schickel. <laughs> Don't the shickle, try. the shickle is unpredictable. <laughs> oh right. my goodness! Um, so yeah, uh, I mean, not too much to update. I, I, as far as my own kind of personal, you know, security journey, I will say this: I noticed um, I was at a um, was at a cookout 
well, I guess it would have been the weekend after we recorded last. I had I got hit with the the targeted ads again. <sighs> uh, the there at the bonfire, uh, the the person's house we were at. They had one of those new smokeless um, bonfires. I don't know if you've seen these things. They're pretty cool. Mm. But they were sitting there and they were just we were talking about them. And um, I started getting ads for them on Facebook and Instagram within within this week. And I, I didn't search it. I didn't look for anything because we were just talking about it. And he was telling me about it, but I 100% did not. Unreal. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm getting ads for them now, which is, I mean. It's like you're confident you guys weren't texting yeah. each other or sending each other links. This is not a person that I text with. Oh, wow. Um, or anything. Like, this is not a person that, like, I even, inter- like, I even interact with. That is so Facebook scary, man. It's- yeah, so it's incredibly strange. And so, yeah, I saw I saw that uh, that article you sent over with the um, – um, pull it up here. The uh, the study about the effectiveness effectiveness of Apple's um, app tracking transparency. We found that app tracking transparency made no difference in the total number of active third party trackers and had a minimal impact on the total number of tracking connection attempts. We further confirmed that detailed personal or device data was being sent to trackers in almost all cases. I like that they say off the top, like who they are, um, that, you know, um, they're ex Apple engineers that value privacy and transparency. And so they say that right off the top and I have no reason to believe otherwise on the flip side of that. I'm always a little dubious of any time an ex employee of a company comes out with a study for said company. I'm not saying that there is any sort of malicious or anything like that, but I don't know, just kind of take things. I try to take things, I don't want to say with a grain of salt, but like try to try to observe from all sides of it. Well, that's fair. I mean, I think it's I think it's Mm -hmm. like going to a doctor who gives you some really bad Mm -hmm. news, right? You're going to want a second opinion. You're going to want a an independent second opinion, Mm -hmm. maybe ideally from someone Mm -hmm. who is doesn't have a maybe a biased (laughs) connection to the source material, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, And and all that to say is, and I certainly didn't intend to paint the picture last episode that I think Apple is infallible and like. I don't think you. I don't in, think you painted that picture, but these. and so yeah, and I just want to call that out to say like, um, I think my stance with Apple is, it's almost like they're the lesser of the evils. Like I, I as a as a consumer and a user of lots of Apple products, hmm. um, I at least get the feeling that. Um, they're at least try, trying to look out for my privacy and my best interests. Um, however, they are a company that makes lots and lots and lots of money, right? Like, and so they're going to do what they need to do to make lots and lots and lots of money. Now, I believe them when they say don't, they don't harvest any personal details or sell that to, to people. You know, like, I mean, say what you will about Google. They're at least not, not they don't pretend like they're not doing that. So, <laughs> you know, it's kind of like two sides of the same coin. Right. So you, you kind of just know what you're getting into. Do I think that they're perfect and that I think every measure that they take lands perfectly? Not at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I find this very interesting. Like I, I'm definitely going to like, I'm going to do a, I'd like to do a little bit of a deeper dive into kind of like this study and um, some of like some of the data and what they're comparing it to and how they came. Yeah. To I, I feel like it, it deserves. <laughs> It, it mm-hmm. deserves that deeper dive. I mean, I, I, you know, I think that I have done what a lot of media have done is I've mentioned it in passing kind of right. as a reaction, but I haven't mm-hmm. seen, I haven't seen, um, and you know, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't have the knowledge or the time to do this. 
Right. Uh, <laughs> but I haven't really seen any influential journalists or outlets mm-hmm. analyzing jump this. this report yeah. and jump on it and mm-hmm. try to verify it. And, you know, mm-hmm. but oh, so I, I, uh, I'm being vague about it because I, I actually uh, go into detail with Joshua Montgomery later in cool. the show during our interview. Yeah. When you ask an app not to track you mm-hmm. on iPhone, on iOS, it is kind of like you're asking. Right, <laughs> not right. demanding, so, um, and which is which is fair, and it's it's kind of like the do not track bit that you can enable in browsers and stuff. Like yeah. it's politely asking, and it's it up is. to the it's up to the end, you know, the the endpoint to say, uh, okay, sure, <laughs> I'll I'll comply with your request, or nah, I'm good. I think I do appreciate that it, it was always a question from the start. Like it it was always a disclaimer. Like we we cannot stop. Right. Apps from tracking you, but I don't. Um, I don't think that's the impression that Apple has given people, though. Unless no. I'm naive, like, and I'm fine. I'm naive. I, I tend to. I tend to. I tend to latch on to like the best of things and the look at the positive mm-hmm. side. So the marketing team has other priorities than the uh, the implementation team. I, I imagine um, <laughs> making it feel maybe a little more, a little more definitive probably helps um Mm -hmm. but uh yeah i do think that the impression a lot of people got was that it it was going to just stop it right um and that's that's definitely um a valid argument and um i i think actually the, the thing that i took away from it most um was that people are actually having it put in front of them and that they have to actually think about what's going on and mm-hmm. I know maybe it won't change things for everybody, but I think a big part of privacy and a big part of controlling how your personal life online works is actually knowing about it first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So I, the, I think that's, that's probably the biggest, the biggest first step. Component. Yeah. It's the awareness, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it's, you know, for me, it was, it was eye-opening. Now, I know that other... I know that other browsers do this and there's other tools, but the first time that I came into contact with it was using Safari on Mac OS. And it, it would tell me like, I, I think it was maybe just a notification that came up and said, would you like to see your privacy report? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah. I'll check it out. And it was like, oh yeah, we blocked like, you know, 7,000 trackers. From <laughs> and it gives you the, the websites that you visited and how many trackers were blocked and what the trackers were. And it was just... It was, it was a realization that you know that that kicked off this 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 whole almost paranoia, I guess, like feeling paranoid that that yeah. something or someone is always paying attention to everything that I'm doing. Yeah. Um. So yeah, yeah. Again, another very very uplifting segment here on Linux for everyone. <laughs> oh boy. At the end of the day, I think I I still trust probably Apple um more than I trust Google, Facebook, any of those big companies. <laughs> I mean, just again, not perfect. They're they're not um I don't I, I don't think anyone is perfect on it. I think we touched on this last time. It's it's such a moving target, honestly. And Apple's had some missteps. I mean, the whole thing where they um, with the where they would scan the images that the, the, in the news recently, where they would scan the images until you know for um, it's like you know the heart behind it. I, I understand, but it's like boy, that was that was botched. 
the announcement, the implementation, everything on it was like Apple completely botched it. And it's like, yeah, yeah. Um, they're not like they're not perfect, but it's like I still feel like they value me as a um I don't want to say they value me as a person because they're a company. They don't value me as a person. <laughs> they value me as someone who gives them money. But, but, I, but I think that they – I'm not trying they to value, – They value my privacy. Sorry, I think that they, they value making you feel like they value you sure. as a person. Absolutely. <laughs> if that yeah, makes sense. No, I, think that's, I think that's completely fair. Anyway. <laughs> No updates otherwise. <laughs> cool, cool. Well, I have I have a small update. Um, one of the uh, there were there were apparently several uh, privacy phone companies watching our episode. Oh, fun! And uh, a couple of them offered to send me uh, some of their products, and I just got one like ninety minutes before we started recording this, you guys. So I haven't had a chance to do really anything but take it out of the box and power it on. Uh, but this is the um, I believe it is pronounced Iode. I've I've watched some of their videos and it's pronounced Iode. Um, it is a privacy phone that is uh, so Iode has re, they have their own product and they also have a bunch of refurbished, repurposed uh, Sony Xperia phones and Samsung phones. This one is a uh, Galaxy S10e loaded up with Lineage OS. And and so what they do is they've got this app, and hopefully, uh, for those watching the video, hopefully I can get some some on screen footage of this. But uh, they have an app that at any time, and this is a Googleless phone, of course, it's degoogled. Uh, basically, at any time, you can fire up this app and see exactly what apps are trying to profile you and track you, and where that data is being sent. And you can instantly just like hit the button and stop it. Um, so it's another layer, you know, it's another layer of privacy and protection. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to move into this phone. I'm going to, I'm going to put my SIM card in here. I'm going to load up all my apps. That's going to take a long time because I'm not, I'm not going to sign in with a Google account and automatically like import all my apps and, you know, installations and, and logins. So it's going to take forever, but I want to see, I want to, I want to really see if I can, um, enjoy a little bit more privacy mm-hmm. without Google around mm-hmm. and, and, and see, and, and probably get some, like get some pretty scary insights into what apps are, are, are tracking yeah. me and trying to profile my, my, you know, my habits. Uh, so I'll keep you guys updated on that. I don't know if it'll be a yeah. separate video on the Linux for everyone channel or uh, well, we will for sure talk about it on, on Linux for everyone 56. Kind of an addendum. I said, I didn't have anything else and I do. I just, found this setting and I was I was kind of messing with my phone last night. Um in in, in iOS there's a option to it's called record app activity. And you can hmm. enable it. It's off by you may know this shickle you're um it looks like you were you're shaking your head, but you can actually like save a seven day summary of when apps access your data, like your location, microphone, and see when apps or websites you visit um see when apps or websites you visit within app apps when they contact other domains. And so you can save that out and kind of see. Um, and so I enabled this last night. I'm going yeah. to run it for seven days, and I'm really curious. Oh, see. let us – okay. Um, yeah. We'll, we'll so make that, a note we'll, to we'll – follow up. Yeah, yeah. circle back and, and look at that. That's going to be frightening. <laughs> As you were mentioning that app, I'm like, oh, yeah, I actually did in, uh, find this setting. So uh, I'm pr- people are probably going to be like, oh, yeah, that's been, that's been there for a long time. I just didn't know about it. So. 
All right, Chickle, you're joining me without Jerry uh, because you might be, unfortunately and fortunately, missing the recording of uh, Linux for Everyone number 55. Because why? Well, you see, I've accepted the ultimate responsibility of engineering pure joy. <laughs> engineering pure joy. You know, that's interesting. Because I did an interview with Emma of System76, and, and she's a happiness engineer. Hmm. Are these things related? They may just be. <laughs> so I, I put my name in um, with System76, which uh, I'm incredibly excited about. I mean, the opportunity itself was, was thrilling, but um, I had a couple of interviews, and... I will be starting, or I, by this time, I have started. See, the magic of editing. Yep. But I will be starting as a, a happiness engineer, and I'm honestly really thrilled about it. Uh, System76 makes really cool stuff, and they also have really cool people behind them. Like, it's just, it's probably the perfect example of what I would consider, like, a community-driven like laptop and desktop manufacturer some of it has to do with the scale i'm sure right like it's it's easier to move and connect with people when you're smaller but i think even more so they it's it's their values right at system 76 values the people behind these projects and the people that make the things they make possible and they value the people that use them and there's this constant feedback loop with them. And that's something that I get to be a part of, you know, it, it's the perfect opportunity for me because I love tech and I love helping people love tech. <laughs> I, I'm not going to lie at this point. I, I know so many people that have either applied for or are working at system 76 now in this community that like, I can't wait to go to the next super fan event whenever all you know, Superfan 3 was, what, time. two, three years ago at this point? I know there's going to be a Superfan 4, and that's going to be just a party. That's going to be a huge party. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be. So anyway, congratulations. And, um, Thank you. And Carl, if you're watching or listening to this, uh, please let Shickle uh, have an hour or two off to record Linux for everyone. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> well, anyway, dude, we look forward to you doing great things there, along with Alex and uh, Aaron and... Jeremy, the rock star of, of Linux. I, he is kind of the rock star of Linux in my mind he's, right he's now. He's definitely a rock star, that's for sure. And and not like the Nickelback song. It's definitely much more Do not mention do not mention Nickelback <laughs> on this show. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. We already have a whole episode's worth of outtakes. Um so good. Episode fifty-four. We went down um, kind of a depressing rabbit hole. <laughs> Normally, the rabbit holes that we go down in Linux are exciting and adventurous. Uh, this one, you know, there was a dark turn or two in episode 54, just as we realized um, how much of our privacy has been slowly eroding away. Oh, yeah. Um, so I just wanted to catch up with you since we recorded this about two weeks ago. And ask you kind of how your privacy 
uh, journey has gone since then. You mentioned that you were using two new products called uh, Session for messaging and a non-addy for anonymized email. How are both of those going for you? Um, I've generally been having a good experience. Um, with Session in particular, it's it's just been easy. And I think that's that's kind of all I can ask for, right? Um, obviously, the goal is that it's, it's private and an anon- an anonymous. Wow, words. Anemone. 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 What I, what I really want from an app like that, like Session, is that it's straightforward and follows the similar design practices that any other messaging app probably would, right? If I want to start a message with someone, I just add them to a chat and I communicate with them. I don't have to like send them two different encryption keys and then have them like cross verify. I just look, let me scan the QR code or send you the the number here, this generated number and that's it. Right. Nothing else to it. No phone number involved. And so far it's been reliable and I'm no network security engineer uh, or expert, but I generally trust it. And um, yeah, so that, that's that been going super well. I haven't had connection nice. issues with it, despite the fact that it's routing the traffic to like five different spots around the world every time I send a message. Uh, so what about um, Anon, Anon Addy? I'm not sure how to even pronounce that. Anon, Anon Addy. Anon Addy has been an interesting experience for me. It, it is a paid service and it does work well for the most part um but i will be honest i sort of spoiled myself with the expectation that it would feel and integrate the way that apple id's um system works and it just it just doesn't right um it's very rare that you have a third-party service that integrates with system things like sign in with or you know it's it's a very manual process and Something that I, I think I would prefer is if I go to sign in with something and it was just, you know, here's an automatically randomated, randomated generated thing for you. Randomated? That's <laughs> a just good combination of, I like it. Yeah. And how it works. I had a stroke and here we are. With things like Bitwarden, perhaps, right? You can enable it as autofill in your Android system settings or your mm. iOS system settings. And you have different, uh, like, settings for when it's triggered and whether it draws over other apps or whether it's inline in your keyboard with this, it's, it's a very sort of like open the app, create one and then drop it in copy paste. And that's fine. Mm. But I would like to think that we have better options. I, I feel like we should have better options and the inconvenience of going back and forth between apps to create these, especially when a lot of apps, if you leave them during a sign in process, They'll like either just completely blank out the fields yeah. or start you all over. Right. It's I've had that happen a couple of times. It's not worth it. It's just mm. I I can't do it. <laughs> like it's it's such a great concept, you know, to be able to easily cut out spam and not have your email address in more and more and more spam lists. But just the inconvenience of refilling forms and not having autofill just isn't isn't viable for me it really it really goes back to the what we were talking about in the last episode was that convenience is a drug 
In many ways, yeah. it feels like a drug. I mean, do you know how to get around those issues, Shickle? You can you can set up your own mail in a box on Linode <laughs> or something like that, which is what I've done. Um, I haven't so dug real I haven't dug real deep into it, but again, that took me like half a day to set up, and plus there's the management of it, and um, you know, it's a great like for what it is. Mail in a box is superb, but it takes someone who is technically savvy to get it set up. And it just, yeah, it just keeps circling back to um, the fact that there are so many great options for, uh, you know, people who are more privacy conscious, but the usability for most of those alternatives is just not up there yet, like ready for prime time Mm -hmm. yet. A core difference, too, is when you create something with apple id it's almost like that email address is only used for email like if i sign into something what a novel concept right i know (laughs) right it's if i sign into something with like an email address i've created for a non-addy it's like that that email address is like my login name or like or that email address you know it's like when you go to sign into a service you put your normal email address so it's this randomized long email address that i have to then save i guess different email addresses in my bitwarden and it just mm. gets really messy really fast yeah, especially I can because imagine you can't really identify any of them either like you can cross-reference them but mm. eh. no that's too much work it's, it's too, too much, much work now if you were if you were someone who um you know your life depended on you remaining anonymous that work would very well be worth it Right to to protect your livelihood, um, yeah. but yeah, well, okay. So, any any other stuff that's kind of come across your radar since uh, since we talked in the last episode? I have been working on getting my mother to have um, two factor authentication for more and more accounts. <clears throat> and, cool. Um, Bitwarden has this sort of built in, and I know <clears throat> depending on like your level of security. You may not want the same app that manages your passwords to also do your two-factor. But in this case, it's more so that if there's a leak of the password from like a website that didn't store things properly or secure things properly, you know, they still can't log in even if they have the password, right? So I'm not, I'm not, our threat model doesn't include people getting into the Bitwarden. It's more so just, you know, because like that's encrypted. It's not, nobody's going through that much effort. But if there's like a password leak, it's just there. There's no effort. So two-factor authentication, super handy. And Bitwarden's autofill, like autofills the username, the password, and automatically copies the two-factor code to the clipboard. So as soon as you go to the next screen, you just paste it in Man, there. Man, see, that's convenient. Oh my god, That's convenient, perfect. yes. <laughs> it's so good. One of the best things I think you'll find about it is that it's... It integrates with the autofill services on iOS and Android. It nice. also um, has extensions that work in Safari, Chrome, Vivaldi, Firefox, a whole bunch of those other ones. Even the, wow! Um, so any yeah, Edge probably right. It does work in Edge okay. as well. Okay, Fan, yeah, fantastic. Brave? Did you say well, Brave? Well, add. probably any Chromium based. Uh, I think it does right? work in Brave too. Yeah, yeah I any Chromium it personally, but I I think I've seen somebody using it. Okay, so. I, I figure that that, that, that kind of thing has this? to be universal, right? It, they exactly. And Face ID 
and touch id and what? um yeah and uh what was the android i think android is just called biometric login yeah, it's such a sexy name. <laughs> Windows Hello Face ID Biometric Login. Biometric. Uh, that would be a song right there. <laughs> Hold on, let me write. Let me write. Write that Please. down. Before we go any further, I want to take a moment to thank our friends at Tuxedo Computers for making Linux for Everyone content possible. Tuxedo specializes in sleek Linux-first laptops like the exceptional AMD Ryzen-powered Pulse 15 and the mighty Stellaris 15, which features a vivid 1440p display, your choice of 8-core processors from Intel or AMD, and up to an NVIDIA RTX 3080 for all the gorgeous gaming graphics you could possibly want. When Linux for Everyone was on the ropes, Tuxedo stepped in and helped out in a big way, and we are proud to call them a partner in this ongoing journey of ours. Go check them out at tuxedocomputers.com. Jerry. Yeah, what's up? We, every episode, we want to bring an awesome, maybe somewhat um under the radar app piece of software to people that uh that makes their lives better because that's what tech is for and uh this time around you've got something for us right a software spotlight yeah i do um so um i dabble in um i'm by no means a, a, a professional but um I do some photography and videography on the side kind of for fun and for, you know, kind of a, as a hobby. I don't remember how I stumbled upon this. I think when I kind of um, a couple years ago, um, Jason would have been around the probably when you and I met. Um, and I was really trying to dive headfirst into like moving my audio workflow over to Linux. Oh, yes. And um, really just trying to think through of like, OK, what workflows do I have for creative uh, work and like mm-hmm. what what can I transfer over um, and you know photography and video editing was another one of those and actually photography you know I think probably the audio is it would be is there's plenty of fodder there for another segment <laughs> um, oh yeah the there's another right. series for that yeah <laughs> a whole other series but um, photography is one of those areas where I've always kind of said like if photography was like the only thing that I did <laughs> I could. I could absolutely use Linux 100% full time with, oh, with, with, okay. with the tools with the tools that they make available. Um, video editing is kind of another story for me, but photography I felt like there's some. There, I feel like there's some wonderful tools that are um, free and open source that are that can go a either go toe to toe with um, some of the um, you know, paid applications that you get. Um, so you're talking about Adobe, right? Photoshop and Light, I, I Lightroom mean, and, and more so, more, more so things along the line. Yeah. Like Lightroom Photoshop. I still, I, I don't feel like, um, uh, GIMP gets necessarily close to Photoshop. You have to kind of, you have to break your, you have to break your way of thinking within like, they don't map one to one without right, right, right. But 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 you don't you don't hear people you don't hear people regularly say like oh yeah Linux totally competes with Mac OS right. for video editing right. or for music production. But right. I do hear a lot of people say I, yeah. that the photography tools are top notch. Mm-hmm. So yeah, okay, yeah. keep going. Keep tools going. like Digicam and um, GIMP and I mean even uh, stuff like Krita, Darktable, like right? Is dark, a Darktable? Oh, yeah, Darktable yeah, Darktable yeah. is the one. Like what's the uh, Raw Therapy is another one that's uh, like. Yeah. Um, um, just so many great tools. So um, I stumbled upon this tool. It's called uh, Rapid Photo Downloader, and um, hmm. it's, 
kind of a random name. It's like it didn't like it didn't. Does it like, does it rapidly download photos? Is that what it does? Or <laughs> right, it pretty much does exactly what it says. Um, and it's one of those tools that I have not found on. Um, I have not found a suitable replacement on Mac OS or Windows. Like it's it's hmm. Linux only. It does. It actually does a whole lot of different kind of things rather than uh, than just downloading photos from your media. Um, but I use it really for just a few basic um, parts of the of my workflow. But they're like indispensable, and a few of those things are like. Um, being able to sensibly name files and folders and like create folders on the fly as you're importing in oh, your Oh, like in a, ba- in a batch? Yeah, yeah in a oh, batch. It'll okay. do that, which is That's great. That's nice, yeah. Um, it will um, – the biggest thing, like th- there's two parts of this. The, the, the biggest thing that like really just sold me on it is, A, you can import from multiple devices – so multiple SD cards or like an SD card and an iPhone or um, different devices all at once. Like you don't have to like do one and do the other. You can do them huh. all at once. And then you can set – you can go into the um, – this is the big thing for me. Like this seems it's such a small thing, but it's so huge. Um, you can go in and set um, um, default locations for the different file types. So if I want pictures to go oh. to – to do no, that's brilliant. It's, it, it's fantastic. It's, and oh, I want man. videos to go to this folder and it's all automatic. Like, yeah. it's all, it's like I go in and I set those default folders and then I hit a button and it pulls from the four devices that I have connected oh, and man. puts pictures where I want them. It puts videos where I want them. It's fantastic. Um, and then it will also <laughs> copy as it's, as it's moving the, media from your devices you can set up backup locations so if you have a nas or you have a, um, a backup drive connected it'll also copy at the same all at the same time to all of those different locations it's just such it a should be center. called like rapid photo utility belt or yeah, something exactly. <laughs> or rapid um, media rapid media utility belt i don't know um it's it's uh fantastic damon lynch is the the developer he um and he uh, was featured on I Make False um, at one oh, point. Yeah, um, yeah. Something we year. something we need to talk more about here. Right. Yep. And so, um, and I actually talked to I talked to him for a little bit. Um, I was at the one that kind of uh, nominated him to be featured for the week, just because oh. I value the oh, tool so much, and I cool. would love for like I love for some visibility on it. And I even asked him. I was like, um, you know, do you have any like um, do you have any plans to? Um, <laughs> make this for windows or mac or like to, to to reach a bit of a wider audience maybe or to get like um <clears throat> just for somebody like me who bounces between all three operating systems pretty regularly like yeah that's a tool that's indispensable and it's like i 100 percent miss when i'm not on a linux box okay and so he was just pretty much like no <laughs> no but okay but no, but is but it like, is it open source it is open source, so somebody, somebody, I think. Sure. So someone somebody, else can package I, that up for Mac OS and Windows if they want to, right? Yeah. And so I, he's written. It, I think it's written in Python, maybe. If I, I may be speaking completely. I mean, it wrong. sounds super useful. I'm not a but, photographer, but I, I work with so much video. Media. Like I, I, I do a lot of, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of shooting on my phone when it comes to, you know, like when I'm doing right. a solo video or I'm doing product, mm-hmm. product or reviews or, and. Um, and I tend to import a lot of a lot of files that are just called like I don't know vid underscore whatever. And I would love to 
batch name those as I import them, right? And yeah. sure, what sure, I'd also like to back those up and I'd also like to mm-hmm. have those land in my videos folder, et cetera, et cetera, yep. et cetera. So yep. I mean, yeah, this sounds super indispensable. That sounds yep. wonderful. It's great. It's fantastic. It's my favorite. It's my favorite. How, um, how's sorry, the how's the UI on it? Um, it's it, actually not it's not bad. It's I mean, it's got a little bit of that Windows seven. <laughs> Windows, um, nothing wrong with Windows 7, folks. No. No, it, nothing wrong with that UI. Um, it, but it, it, it feels smartly laid out, and it feels very um, – it's intuitive. Um, Damon is a photographer, so he, he pretty much wrote a tool that he wanted to use and mm. made it useful. Yeah, I mean, the UIs – I've actually tried – so I've tried to get it running under um, the WSL um, – two on on windows but haven't had any luck even if i could run this as a linux app in windows 11 like that would be useful because um i have access to the file system it can i can set it to my you know what i mean like yeah that would be i feel i feel like and i feel bad because (laughs) i still have not even once touched wsl in windows i guess because because i can just Use Linux, yeah. <laughs> so, but I feel like as someone covering this space, I should check it out, especially mm-hmm. with WSLG now, which does all the GUI stuff. Yeah, that's um, what I've tried to do. But I guess it did, it's yeah. it's not a guarantee that these apps will work, yeah. right? Um, it, and it might be some dependencies that Damon builds into his app. Shickle, you you're an amateur photographer. Amateur I mean, is the key word. I don't know if that's I don't know if that sounds I don't mean that to sound insulting. I've seen some of your photos and no, they're fantastic. No, definitely. Um, um I'm just is that something that you would use or do you have do you have a different set of tools, different workflow that you use for for your photography? I've got a little bit of a weird thing. It's not a normal thing that I would expect people to set up, but um so I have Wi-Fi on my DSLR mm-hmm. and that automatically dumps to my phone, mm-hmm. which is sync thing backed up to my home machines. <laughs> So wow. all of the raw photos and I love it. I love how complicated but but glorious that sounds. I really do. It's so weird. It really it's is the shickle method. I love it. it. It basically means like I I never like have to touch it. Like it's automatically imported and backed up. So it goes both to my mm-hmm. Google Photos yep. and to my um to my sync thing at the same time. So I have multiple backups and different Man, places. That's cool. and, um, immediate local downloads of everything, so I don't have to like if my internet's out, I can still edit and whatnot. But um, it's it's mostly pictures of my cat, so I don't know, <laughs> you know, effort versus those are priority. That's that's a priority. I think that's a priority. Yeah. So anyway, uh, check out check out Rapid Photo Downloader, and we'll have a link, yep. of course, uh, to that app in the description for this video or in the show notes for this episode. Wherever you're consuming this, we'll have a link for it. And uh, Shickle, we have to say goodbye. Yes. Yes. yes All right, indeed. Man. I got a. I got work to do. Hey, it's good work. It's good work. Thank yeah, you for engineering happiness. Um, uh, yeah, like I'm. Re- I'm super happy you could join us. I wasn't yeah. expecting that. And. And uh, tell Carl and Alex and Emma and all those guys and gals hello for us. Yep. Thanks, all right, Shickle. man. Good to see you. All right, dude. Thanks. We'll see, see you next time. We had an enormous amount of feedback from you guys after episode 54, after our uh, discussion about about the erosion of privacy that's happening in our in our lives online. And I just want to say it's it, it could take up an entire episode reading and, and dissecting and discussing all of the feedback that you guys gave. But I, I, I want to say 
that uh, that we all sincerely appreciate all the suggestions. Mm-hmm. We're still Absolutely. parsing it. Um, and what we want to do is is maybe highlight one or two of your emails. And as you guys know, I'm I'm building a new website to kind of encompass all of the the shows that are coming, tech for everyone and games for everyone and Linux for everyone and written content as well, you know, written reviews and guides and and news posts and a forum and all this stuff. What I'm going to do, what I'm going to promise to you guys is I'm going to take all of this this knowledge that you shared with us and I'm going to make kind of a, a wiki out of it and put it on the new site because there's there's just, there's a ton. Like I, I can't even, I can't even explain to you how much I mean people wrote thousand word emails mm-hmm. with with apps or websites or or you know ex- browser extensions with links to them <laughs> right. and and why they like them and there was so much thought and effort mm-hmm. put into this feedback and I, I don't want it to go to waste so yep. I'll keep you updated on that uh Jerry cool. I was wondering yeah. if you want to read one or two of these Sure. Yeah, we got an uh, email here from Colin, which was super, super, super helpful and had a lot of really good info. So um, I'm just going to read this here. Um, it says, hey, L4E team, I just watched your last show on privacy and wanted to share some knowledge with you all since it seems like each of you is just getting started with protecting yourselves online. Just like with Linux, privacy is a journey. Everyone that takes the journey will go at their own pace and end up in a different spot that is within their comfort zone, which I love that. That's yeah, such a good that's, point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, privacy is a fundamental right for everyone. Even if you don't make it very far on your journey towards privacy, it's important that you set out and yet you are open to learning along the way. <laughs> Gaining an understanding of how different companies slash governments work and questioning their motives as you learn along the way is key to understanding how tech and services work for and against you, which is another Oh, that's kind of profound. Like, I just have to let that sink in for a minute, how tech services work for and against you. you. Yep. And it's weighing those options, weighing those two things (laughs) against each other. Yep. Um, With time, understanding, and baby steps, you can inspire yourself and others to make the digital world a better place for everyone. I use Linux because it is mine. I get to own it and do whatever I want with it. I am not the product. My OS does not spy on me, and I can tinker away. Open source community driven equals win. So yeah, Colin, thank you so mm. much for that thoughtful email. That is thank you, Colin. Tasty nuggets there. For That's sure. awesome. And and there were so many more. Uh, you know, like I said, I'll I'll give I'll give attention to those as best mm-hmm. I can. Uh, Colin, I did want to address you directly though. The rest of your email, uh, you were talking about the Nitro phone, and they are actually sending me one with Graphene OS and uh, as you probably figured out by now, I, I got the uh, EODE phone and uh and that has you're suggesting uh the aurora store and fdroid and that actually comes uh bundled both of those Mm -hmm. stores come bundled with this phone so i will give you my i will definitely give you my impressions as uh as i move into it and, and start checking it out okay well this is probably going to be a super long episode so i'm going to move this directly into my conversation with uh mycroft AI mm-hmm. co-founder Joshua Montgomery and uh, Jerry. I think mm-hmm. I think this will be it for you on this episode. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not sure, uh, guys. I have like four or five pieces of this, and I'm just yeah. Uh, it's it's been recorded in all different places and and you times. Me in where you feel best, Jason. But uh, but I hope you guys enjoy the rest of the show. Yep. And Jerry, thank you as always yep. for being here. So good and, to be here. Uh, we'll see you next time. Enjoy your new your new MacBook. 
Yes. All absolutely. right, dude. So we'll see you, Jason. Thanks. See ya. In addition to Tuxedo Computers and our friends in the community, Linux for Everyone is also made possible by Linode. If it runs on Linux, you can run it on Linode. They have multiple distros available, including Ubuntu, CentOS, Alpine, and Arch, by the way. They've got multiple server plans to make any app or service flexible and easily scalable. You can use a Linode server to easily set up a WordPress-powered website, your own personal VPN, a dedicated Jitsi or Minecraft server, and much more that you can get installed with a single click. Linode has 24-7, 365 support available by phone, regardless of your plan size, so you can get help from a real person when you need it. Right now, Linux for Everyone fans who are opening a brand new account can get a $100 60-day credit by going to linode.com slash Linux for Everyone. Linode's been doing cloud computing since 2003, before Amazon even entered the picture. So they're not trying to take over the retail world like other companies. They're just focused on good old-fashioned, Linux-loving cloud computing. Go to linode.com slash Linux for Everyone to get started building your new project. It's where we host all of ours, and we're proud to call them a longtime partner. I am very, very honored to be joined by the co-founder of Mycroft AI and esteemed children's book author, Josh Montgomery. How you doing? I'm doing great. How about yourself, Jason? Uh, good, good. Really good. Um, I, I finally have... This is the best, cleanest looking office backdrop that I've had yet. And so I'm very, very happy. I got these, uh, these sound panels up this week, and it's, uh, it's really nice to finally be able to use them. And they look nice, and they're, and they're Mycroft blue, and they're actually yeah. the right shape. They're the, 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 they're the shape of the Mycroft logo, right? So I love them. Cool. Love them. Very cool. So uh, I'm, just, I'm happy to finally be able to connect with you. We've been trying to do this for probably a few months now. Yeah, absolutely, and and I'm connecting from a place that's not nearly as tidy. But behind me, there's. To be fair, though, you are in Hawaii, and I am not. So, uh, we all have our that, pros and cons here. <laughs> that is true. It is uh, it is a good place to build a tech company in in uh, in post COVID America. So hmm. why why is that? Just out of curiosity, why is that a good place? Uh, so for a couple of reasons. So one of them is that Southwest Airlines launched direct service in and out of Kona, Hawaii. Oh, to, all right. Uh, Phoenix, Las Vegas, and Los Angeles, where you can change planes and get to 40 other cities in the U.S. on the same day. So that that was one of the things that 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 kind of opened our eyes to this being a viable place to build a tech company. Mm -hmm. uh, San Francisco's really become unlivable in a lot of ways. You know, we were there for a couple of years, and between the traffic and the cost of living, um, you know, it really has become a, a community that's very difficult to live in, even, you know, that's when you have shame. two people who are married, who have, you know, technology type salaries. Um, and then, you know, the 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 idea for us was um, to go someplace that had great quality of life where we could get directly in and out of San Francisco and L.A. if we needed to. You know, Amazon Prime delivers <laughs> direct. And so, you know, with with 60 percent of online retail purchases starting at amazon.com. In other words, six out of 10 people in the, on the world that decide to buy something online in the, the first place to go. In, sorry, in you world. say in the world, not in the country. Well, that, in, that might not include China in fairness. A lot well, of that's no, that's fair. That's fair. But, okay. uh, but yeah, they start on amazon.com. And so, you know, you, you really do have to think about, um, you know, 
I can't go in Hawaii. You can't go to the local hardware store and buy a pack of resistors, right? Because you know the, the investment bankers ran ran Radio Shack Shack out of business. Um, and so you know it is important to be able to get long tail retail, like all the little bits and pieces and parts that it takes to run a tech company, and and mm. that weighed into it too. And then finally, you know, in in San Francisco, you know, we had a little three bedroom tear down house in Palo Alto. The house was so bad that three months after we moved out, it burned down in the middle of the night of its own accord. Um, and it, you know, the rent on that place was six thousand dollars a month. And so that's not even you know, that's that's more of a dare. That's that's not even that's just someone making a dare. Like I dare you to live on on you know with this kind of mortgage. That's that's insane. Yeah, well, it wasn't yeah. even a mortgage. This is rent. Like you, you can't even buy things there. The the vacant lot at the end of our our street in Palo Alto sold for ten million dollars. It was a one acre lot. And so what? you know, by by the standards of the Bay Area or Seattle or L.A., Hawaii is very affordable for less than that little teardown house. You know, we ended up um, purchasing a, a five acre coffee farm that's you know in production, and, <laughs> and we're raising our kids here. Um, and then coffee you know, the, I guess finally there's. There's very little gun violence and very little violence of any kind here. Uh, violence. Huge plus. Yes. Can you speak a little bit about the the origins of Mycroft? What prompted that? What prompted you to want to get into this specific industry? Because we started an internet service provider in 2006 to do internet service for low-income families. Uh, you know, we were in a financial position with a lot of customers at the university and a lot of students where we could build this entrepreneurship center. And the, and the idea of the center was we'd have a place for you to work like a typical co-working space. We have a data center where entrepreneurs could put actual iron and, and, you know, on 10 gigs of fiber and really do cool things. This is kind of before virtualization was really as, as, as universal as it is today. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, you know, we had a makerspace and the idea was you could build anything, like anything you wanted up to and including a nuclear weapon. Although we did have rules about explosives and explosives and radio, radio isotopes on the premises. Man. But the, you know, the idea was we would have all the machinery and the stuff you'd need to do it. And so, you know, 3d printers and actually I'm, I'm in, I kind of picked up roots and moved a lot of that here. So, you know, I've got lasers and 3d printers and things here in the facility in Hawaii. Dave had this like hack together Cortana thing in his space that you could hit a button and it would like announce over the ceiling, like, Hey, it's time to close. Or, you know, hmm. uh, 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 you know, the, the, the cake, you know, there will be cake at the end of the adventure. And so, um, you know, I, I looked at it and I was like, Hey, I want that, but I want to do something more. And, you know, this was shortly after Iron Man had come out and, you know, we wanted to build Jarvis mm. from Iron Man, right. Into our space. Yeah. At the time, the, the only voice tech out there was, was, uh, Siri, right, which was locked on to Apple's phones. And so, you know, the smart speaker as a concept didn't exist. And so we went mm. out to, to, to build this smart speaker. We wanted to make it um, cute. We wanted to make it personable. So we were inspired by things like uh, WALL-E and... Oh, uh, what inspiration. Uh, you know, yeah, short Johnny Five from Short Circuit and mm -hmm. ET. Awesome. And, uh, and, and then we went out to, like, talk to people about what we were doing. And, and we were super lucky, you know, the the... When we got started, we'd have to explain to to um, to our community or our audience, you know, what a smart speaker was, right? It it sits in the corner and it plays music, but you can also talk to it and you can ask it questions and it like it just came off as sort of crazy or sort of like super future fantastic science fiction. And and I had some of the most sophisticated venture capitalists in the world tell me that smart speakers would be a niche market. Right. No, oh, nobody boy. was going to want one of these things that like the whole idea of people spying on you in your home. Right. And, 
Uh, and then Apple, or I'm sorry, Amazon ran their Super Bowl ad with Alec Baldwin in 2016, and it went overnight from, you know, people saying niche market, no one's going to want one, to people saying this is this market is so huge, and all these companies are so enormous that there can never be an independent player. And that mm. switch happened over a weekend, like Friday it was one, and Monday it was another. Uh, and so you know, we set out to build it, you know, the way that that I build things, right? Which is, you know, with a community of people with you know an eye towards not how we can benefit us as a family or uh, us as founders, but how we can benefit the broader community. And, uh, and, you know, from there, you know, successful Kickstarters, you know, we've raised quite a bit of money. Um, you know, we released and shipped the Mark one, um, crossing fingers about supply chain issues, but, um, assuming that we can thread that needle, uh, you know, the Mark two will ship probably sometime next year, mid year next year. And then, of course, in the meantime, you know, we built a complete, open voice assistant stack, like top to bottom, which is really excited. And, and by we, I don't mean Mycroft or me or Ryan or any, but by we, I mean this community of 60,000 developers who have contributed. 60,000 developers. Yes. It's, we have 66,000 people in our community. Wow. And I may, I think maybe developers is a bit. Is a oh, bit contributors, contributors, right? Yeah. I think contributors is right because the, the idea at Mycroft is not that, that you have to be able to write in Python or C or contribute like, you know, the, the type of deep expertise that someone who de- develops software has, right? What, what we set out to do is a place where, you know, by default, we collect no information about our customers, right? Mm-hmm. Like nothing. We, we're not listening to those microphones. We don't keep logs any longer than we need to serve a query. Um, but, you know, people can contribute by opting to share their data. Right. So if they come and they affirmatively say, hey, look, I want to make this better. I'm going to share my data with the company. I trust you with my privacy. And they they check the share back box. That's contributing. Right. Because now they're contributing data to the machine learning algorithm. What uh, what specifically are they contributing as far as data? In that case, we would get the the audio of the wake word attempt. So if somebody says Minecraft or Microsoft and it triggers the triggers the audio, Mm. um, we would get that. Um, we get the, the audio of the query as well as the text transcription. So, um, you know, if they say play, uh, I don't know, sand dune on my, on it plays sand dune from Spotify. Right. Okay. Um, we would get the audio sample in the, and the text transcription. And then in theory, in the future, we would actually get a, a log back saying that the, you know, it had gone out to Spotify, selected sand dune and was mm-hmm. you know, properly played it. Right. Um, right now, we don't get that piece of it. Is there any personally identifiable information in that data that that you receive that can be traced, like directly, like like to a physical address or or a name or uh, anything only, in that? Only if they actually spoke the identifiable data. So we don't have any way ah. to suss that out at the moment, right? Okay. So if you okay. said, you know, hey, Mycroft, my address is yeah, you know, ten ten Main Street, right? Um, so contributing data is one way people contribute. And and we view that as probably the largest community of contributors as we grow um, that, mm-hmm. that we're going to build, right? You know, the next step up is, is actually classifying that data, right? Because, you know, to make these algorithms better, somebody's got to listen to those and say, you know, they said Minecraft or Microsoft, not Mycroft, right? And so, you know, we built some tools early on that allow the community to do that. Um, you know, a community member logs in, we give them a random sample um, oh, know, okay. In case of the, in case of the wake word, they say this was either, you know, the, the, the joke from that Silicon Valley TV show, right? Hot dog, not a hot dog. Do pizza. Let's do pizza. Yeah. Do pizza. Okay. Pizza. 
not hot dog. That's that's it. It only does hot dogs. No, and a not hot dog. So either Mycroft or not Mycroft, and uh, uh, and then we take that and we use it to improve the that underlying algorithm, right? And uh, you know the there's a lot of other places there where where there are real opportunities for us to build tools for the community to contribute, right? Like you know, looking at an audio sample and if it was mistranscribed, properly transcribing it so we can feed it back into the, the speech speech recognition engine, uh, translating that query from one language to another, right, is another place where the community can contribute. Uh, and not only from like English to, you know, because one of the reasons actually we ended up here in Hawaii as well, Jason, I didn't mention is because we want to support Hawaiian as a language, right? Like the, the, the big players aren't supporting, you know, the, the languages that have smaller speaking communities. And there's like, 4,000 languages globally and the big players are supporting about 40 or 50. Just supporting that 40 or 50 is probably a gargantuan ask, right? It probably is. But I mean, also look at their PL. you know, and here in Hawaii, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, politics around colonialization. Right. But, uh, but yeah, like when you only support the 40 languages of the, com- of the countries that colonized earth, right. And you leave off all the people who got colonized like that, Oof. that certainly is a, is a moral statement about where you stand on, you know, the value of those people's culture. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so anyway, so, you know, the idea is that you could, you could translate it from, you know, whatever language it's into whatever other language you speak. So if you speak Hawaiian and Russian and we have a bunch of Russian queries, you can translate those into Hawaii. And then, and, you know, eventually that data set will probably be really valuable for building open source, you know, natural language transcription software, right? Like the, the data set itself. And then finally, you know, people who can help to improve the, the machine learning, uh, the black boxes, right, the, the trained trained algorithms, and and then then folks who write in Python and C and, and can really contribute to the to the underlying foundational software. So the idea is that as a member of the Minecraft community, all you have to do is be able to speak a language and you can contribute. And then if you're you've got really deep skills in you know, some obscure COBOL, right? Like reporting Mycroft to mainframes. Um, you know, you can, you can, you know, come in and, and work on the mainframe computer and like, you know, program Mycroft to run on an old uh, AS400, right? Oh man, that's cool. That's Please cool. nobody do that. Don't spend it. <laughs> the open source and Linux community, um, more than any other community, I think, is very wary of words like telemetry and data collection. Because I know, I know, we know that those can be used for good and for evil, and they can be misused. And I'm going to take a kind of a strange stance as someone in the Linux community, and uh, I I see the benefit of collecting telemetry. I see the benefit to developers, to products, growth, and and you know, and improvement. So it's a life safety issue for some people. Right. Oh, for, okay. for people who are living in Myanmar right now or people who are in Hong Kong and protesting for democracy. Yeah. You know, the idea that, that their telemetry is going out, you know, the intelligence agencies have proven themselves to be very astute at sussing out, um, you know, uh, opposition, you know, based simply on what phone numbers call what phone numbers. Right. Like they don't even know, need to know the, the contents of the conversation. It's enough to just have the addresses at either end. So, you know, I would argue that those folks you know, especially in places where it's life safety, have a point and that, that we should be building technologies that can run entirely offline and still provide a great experience. So that being said, uh, 
there's a lot of people in the world that live in democracies and in, in countries that, that, that are safe and where dissent is protected. And, uh, you know, in those places, there's benefits to the power of the crowd, right? And, and what we've seen at, you know, the big tech companies is that, you know, having the ability to take all this information, to aggregate it, to use it to train some of these modern neural networks, you know, is very, very powerful when it comes to providing quality services for people, for people, right? Not for users, for people. And, uh, you know, we as an open source community need to build tools that allow people to contribute their data in a way that's safe and protects their privacy to a reasonable level. Uh, An important piece of that is the right to be forgotten, right? That once that data is contributed, that doesn't need to be the end of the story. That we need to provide tools that say, hey, look, like my situation has changed. That, that boyfriend that I loved so much a year ago turned out to be abusive and, and I need to protect myself from that person. And so, you know, I'm going to switch my settings to private and then all of that data from, you know, the prior years of use, you know, gets get, evaporates from the, the global community's data set, right? Are, 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 those, uh, are those options in place? Uh, with, we do have the right to be uh, forgotten. And, not, not just with so, you, but, but uh, I'm talking about kind of the, the larger big tech uh, you know, the Amazons and the Googles and the Facebooks. They say they are. I mean, yes, right? they say they are. And, and you know, in my view, those folks have a credibility problem. I mean, people talk about some of these big tech companies, and I'm going to pick on Google here for a second. So, guys, please don't sue me. Um, but, the the you know, Google is under indictment in all 50 states, the European Union, and by the federal government of the United States. They've paid hundreds of millions of dollars in fines over the past 10 years for things like illegally pushing drugs, right? Like, you know, one of the biggest fines ever levied by the the federal government of the United States up until recently was against Google for, you know, building advertising tools that allowed people to illegally push prescription drugs through their platform, right? These folks, these folks are convicted and indicted criminals, right? They're criminals. And so, you know, they definitely have a credibility problem. And, uh, you know, and even Facebook is another example. You know, I had a Facebook profile and uh, I used it for a number of years. And several years ago, I stopped. Right. I, I viewed it as just toxic and poisonous. But I swear to God, they still have all my info. Like when I've had to go to that website periodically, they still have my picture and my profile. And, you know, they they claim that it's been deleted. But once again, you know, Facebook is under that or has been divided and convicted. Right. Like, are, do you believe them? That data is far too I, valuable to them. Believe me, it's yeah. yeah. Uh, what's a shame about it is it would be such a small change in Facebook's case uh, to accommodate everybody, right? Like if Facebook simply said, "Hey, look, I, you can control your newsfeed. We're not going to push stuff into your newsfeed and and you know poison the the rhetoric for our, our own benefit," um, you know. And if they said, you know, instead of you know getting paid by advertising to you. You can pay us nine bucks a month and we'll protect your privacy. You won't see any ads. I mean, hell, I'd be a Facebook user again. Honestly, I really like, you know, it's, it's as simple as that. And so, you know, they won't do that. So that really does go to your point just now, Jason, which is the data is really, really valuable to them. Our last episode of Linux for Everyone was focused entirely on, on the erosion of privacy. Uh, but one of the only bright spots of the episode was uh, Jerry brought up iOS 14.5, which is um, Apple started kind of closing off uh, the trackers, like like blocking the trackers from tracking uh, customer usage and and behavior across 
different apps that were installed on the phone, building building a, you know, an advertising profile. And you do that, of course, by simply every time you open up the app or the first time you open up the app, it's, you know, ask this app not to track me or whatever. The keyword there being ask, Jerry was very um, enthusiastic about it and, uh, you know, said that hopefully it would pave the way for other other companies. Uh, and And I assumed that because Facebook was moaning so much about this iOS update and, and, you know, apologizing to all of their partners and advertisers on the platform, I assumed, well, it must be working, right? Uh, but then the study on lockdown privacy came out um, and, and they basically say, we found that app tracking transparency made no difference in the total number of active third-party trackers and had a minimal impact on the total number of tracking connection attempts. We further confirmed that detailed personal or device data was being sent to trackers in almost all cases. And it, and it pretty much said, like, there's maybe like 5% less tracking activity when you ask the app not to track you. It's meaningless. Well, and it's, it's because to, regulation is toothless, right? So I was reading yesterday, the day before Facebook had been fined $14 million. I mean, that seems like a lot of money, right? No, for, not for them. Um, yeah. Yeah. For, for illegally uh, uh, something to do with employment. Like they had reclassed employees as 1099 instead of W2 or whatever. Hmm. And I just laughed like $14 million for Facebook is, you know, several minutes of revenue in any given year. You know, the, the, the regulators, you know, have, have really become toothless. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm a big advocate for the death penalty. And by the death penalty, I mean the corporate death penalty, right? Huh. Not the human death penalty, but okay. the corporate death penalty. Governments need to start issuing the death penalty to corporations that behave in ways that damage our society. A company, you know, they get a bunch of opportunities, like they go through the legal system. But if it's decided that a company like maybe three strikes or something, right? <laughs> yeah, if three strikes work for the guy who shoplifted at Walmart, like why not for a ma- a major, you know, global corporation that's got you know billions of dollars for legal compliance? Seems fair to me, right? Um, but whatever that criteria is, when a face when an organization, and I'm going to point the finger at Facebook, like Facebook has proven to be toxic to democracy, toxic to the people who use it, toxic to the broader community is unwilling to follow the, the rules, you know, pays fines. Like it's, you know, like you and I would pay a parking ticket yeah. and, you know, continues in that behavior for a certain period of time. You're done. We liquidate you. You're done. And watch how fast companies come into compliance when you kill a couple of them and corporations look at other corporations and they look at the, at the results and, and, you know, they're watch how fast their corporate compliance departments are like, Oh, wow. Like we, we can't do any of this anymore, guys. Like we're all not going to have jobs. I wish so, uh, I, I wish that yeah. even sounded like a realistic possibility in the states. I, I just I don't know. Yeah, like, the I, I feel states has a religion, and the religion is capitalism. The internet would break if you killed Google right now. It would break. It it, it did it would, two weeks ago with Facebook. Yeah, yeah. right. Like it yeah. went down, and like people were using Facebook for authentication, and like all of a sudden, all their stuff broke. It's wild so the ripple somebody, effect somebody that 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 just yeah. doing something like logging into Facebook has on. Anyway, all right, well, let's let's. And, well, hold on, I want to I want to back that up because I, I want to change subjects and talk about security for a second. Okay, right there. Okay, um, Facebook dorked a BGP route, right? Like they they dorked their BGP advertising, which is you know as a guy who runs an ISP, fairly easy to do, um, unintentionally. And from from what I heard, and this may be apocryphal, so let's let's keep it in in the realm of you know 
rumor and fiction was that they they had to go get a bunch of grinders out and cut the doors off to get into the facility yeah, in because order to because they couldn't there. Yeah, they were exactly. using their own. Yeah, they were only their own uh, intran, intranet or whatever it is to uh, to authenticate, and it was broken. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, and as a guy who's actually had to do that, not with a grinder, but actually like had to bring a locksmith out to unlock a facility that that had gone off net and couldn't unlock itself, I've actually had to do it at the SP. Like, I, I have a lot of I have a lot of sympathy, but but that's what happens when somebody unintentionally dorks a BGP route hmm. or a BGP advertisement. Imagine what happens when a nation state actor goes after the broader BGP cloud, right? And people, people should be thinking about that in terms of vulnerability, because as we found, you know, recently from uh, a department of Homeland security here in the United States, you know, we, who we've given trillion or billions or hundreds of billions of dollars to secure us. Like when they had a security problem, they sent guys who are GS seven, which is effectively the pay scale of, of the janitorial staff to go and deal with it. Right. These are the same people that we've got running our cybersecurity, right? Like, it's something to really think about. If Facebook could dork their entire network with one inadvertent BGP advertisement, imagine what the uh, FSB, the Russian intelligence service, could do if they were doing it intentionally. And people should be thinking about that because our lives are very dependent on these technologies and these tech companies. Um, You know, everything from our supply chains that make our food and the products we eat to our transportation that makes the trains run on time. Um, we are, you know, if you're looking, if I yeah, swear to God, looking for, we're, we're slowly yeah. headed, we're slowly headed towards, I feel like we're in the very opening minutes of like every post-apocalyptic movie ever made. Just the opening well, minutes. I, I, and the opening minutes have been the last, you know, 10 years in our timeline, but it just, there, there's so many of these red flags and warnings that are going off. And I just, ah, you know, it's a little scary. Well, I'm smiling. I'm smiling with, with dread in my in my head that's yeah well one of one of the best books out there and if i'm sure as as linux community like people are science fiction fans you know mycroft by the way is named after the the ai in in robert heinlein's 65 book at the moon is the harsh mistress um but you know if you go and read Werner vinge's a rainbow's end Werner vinge is a fantastic author former um math professor at uh uh former math professor he's won the the hugo and the nebula award a couple times but Rainbow's End is like a near future science fiction book. And, and one of the things that happens in that book is a certificate attack, right? So in, in the world that he builds, there's a hardware encryption layer or a hardware security layer. And, you know, you can revoke a security certificate and break communications for big chunks of the Internet. And, you know, as you as you read his book, which is very fanciful, right, um, you know, simply pulling a certificate can shut the trains down. Right. Shuts the water down, shuts that because the trust relationships between all these systems break. Um, You know that I I found that book to be a a really revealing in terms of what the future of self-driving cars, right to repair, um, future of medicine, future of I mean, future of artificial intelligence. Like it's a fantastic read. And I I Hmm. strongly recommend it. I will check it out. I I wrote it down. I'm going to I'm going to recommend. Well, I'm not going to recommend it until I read it, but I wrote it down. I'll put it in the show notes. Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. And I I have I, I have another book. I'll transition to it. Remember See, when I said uh, esteemed children's author, this Mycroft yes, yes. and the patent trolls. Could you read us maybe uh can you do like a, a reading like you would if you, you know, you're on a book tour and you go to a little a mom and pop bookstore and read a, read a few pages. Sure. This, this okay. will actually be the first time I've done this on camera for anybody. So awesome. For, I start at the beginning. Cause I think this part's extremely important. 
Okay. The book's dedicated to the EFF and Unified Patents, Knights in Armor Fighting Trolls for People Like You and Me. Uh, once upon a time, there were three children named Dunker, Jasmine, and Lee. All three of them respected their teachers and studied hard and got to go to a special school where they learned to, how to create golden papers called patents. A patent is a special paper stamped by the king that helps inventors take ideas and make them real. Of course, only the best, most useful, greatest, and inventive ideas are supposed to become patents. And so the king has a room full of examiners who make sure that only good, smart, and useful ideas get the king's stamp of approval. But Dunker and Jasmine discovered that the examiners were too busy to check on each and every idea. So they took some obvious ideas and tricked the examiners into stamping them for the king. We don't need to have new ideas, said Dunker. We can patent old ideas and use them to make people give us their gold. Dunker and Jasmine spent so much time scheming for gold that soon they became ugly. Their backs grew bent and they grew warts on their noses and became trolls. So that's the opening section of the of the book. There bravo, is more. Bravo, there bravo. are there are knights in shining armor and a sudden res- revelation from the king and a big invention called new egg and you know the, the I will keep hmm. the end a mystery a mystery. Well, now I'm curious. Now I'm very curious. Um, well, I will. I will. Say, you can buy the book on Amazon. Uh, unfortunately, Amazon, or you can buy it um, from actually any local bookseller because we're distributing through Agram, both in the United oh, that's States. That's great. And that's cool. Is that relatively? Also- uh, is that relatively new? That book or? Yeah, we we published it about two months ago. Oh, um, okay, okay. You know, we're in a we're engaged in eleven separate legal actions uh, against a patent troll in Texas uh, who who. Inspire, whose behavior inspired this book. And, and mm. what that patent troll did was after Siri came out, um, he worked with a group of other attorneys and they, they had intellectual property issued that was obvious, right? It was based, based, effectively they patented Siri four or five years after Siri came out. And, uh, and they did that by, uh, by effectively tricking the examiners and getting them to stamp it good. And, you know, they approached us uh, for a licensing fee and the alternative to paying the $30,000 licensing fee was $2 million in, in litigation. Uh, now, we're really lucky. You haven't met our, our other founder, Michael Lewis, but uh, Michael founded Stellar Semiconductor in the 1990s, um, one of the early 3D graphics companies, uh, and mm-hmm. sold it to Broadcom uh, for oh. a sizable payment. Uh, and then he founded uh, Cryptic Studios, which did the MMO City of Heroes. Oh, yeah. Which came out right around the sun. Yeah, yeah. What? So, uh, and he I had no sold, idea. He sold that to Atari and uh, for another sizable check in the in the 2010s, and uh, and so you know we're in a position where and Michael's the CEO. I've I've moved into a founder role and, and primarily do this right mm-hmm. to talk to our the people who use our the fun program. stuff. Yes. Um, yeah, this is my favorite part, man. Is communicating <laughs> what we do. Uh, so we have the financial resources to to uh, to go ahead and stand on principle, and so you know we decided to litigate. Um, you know, it, the, it looks like both of the patents that this this crew had issued are actually going to be invalidated. So they'll be revoked. Uh, we've already beat him in court twice on the patent side. The first because he filed in the wrong venue. The second because he didn't file with enough information. Uh, we're about to hand him their third loss. And uh, and then there's a bunch of other legal actions that are going on related to the case. Um, oh. With the idea at the end of this being, you know, to hold, you know, somebody who's abusing the legal system uh, accountable for abusing it for their own good benefit. So good. If, if folks want to want to support Thank that, you. they can buy the book on our website. Um, at, at which point we get all the revenue. So that's fantastic. Thank you for uh, fighting that fight. 
I'm sure that yeah, we, I and many, many others good. appreciate it. Well, speaking of knights and, in shining yeah, armor, yeah. Uh, knights in shining yeah. armor, we, we have to turn this around. We have to make this a little more positive. So you got to tell us, like, how how is Mycroft AI making this a better world for, for people who are, are so uh, frustrated with their privacy being eroded and, and, you know, unsure of what to trust or who to trust? Sure. So a couple of things. So, you know, one of the ways that you can enforce privacy is by providing transparency, right? When you look at, uh, you know, RSA security and you look at the, the types of modern encryption, like an, an encryption algorithm is not useful until it's been vetted by, you know, a broad community of, mm. of security experts, right? Everybody gets to see the foundational math and the foundational software. And, you know, they look at it and say, if this is properly Im- implemented, this does create a, a secure channel, right? And, and we feel the same way about the voice assistant and the, and the voice technology space. You know, you have this smart speaker or a voice assistant on your phone, or now they're in TVs and microwaves and all over the place, um, 24 hours a day listening to what you're doing, right? And so in my view, the only way to make sure that people's privacy is, is preserved is to make that technology transparent so that okay. security experts and privacy advocates can dig through the software and see you know, this is how it works. And if properly implemented, you're right. This doesn't send your information to a third party, for example. And so, you know, at Mycroft, we're transparent, we're open, we're open source. We're, you know, from a licensing standpoint, we're also open. Um, you know, the software's free as well as being open. So people can can use it how they choose to use it. Uh, you can set Mycroft up to run entirely on site. And we have people who've done that so that no data ever leaves your local, local network. Um, you know, either as an individual, we've had some developers do that, or as, you know, we've been working with hospital systems that, that huh. employ smart speakers, uh, you know, want to put them in patient rooms, uh, but oh. don't want confidential medical data to go to our friends at, at big tech companies, right? Right. Um, yeah. So, so as far as, no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, as yeah. far, as far as I'm aware, that's not a service or feature that, uh, that any of your, you know, Alexas or Siri's or Google Assistants they, are can offer, right? They have a lot of trouble with the HIPAA stuff because their business model, in almost every case, is built on spying on people. And so, when when your your business model is based on spying them, I mean, if people give you something for free, you think that those Amazon or those those uh, Echo Dots or those little Google Home Minis that cost like fifteen dollars, you think they really cost fifteen dollars, or you think they're getting paid some other? Right. So, you know, the the uh, the privacy aspects are really important, um, you know, in hospital settings, you know, the ability to run it independent of the Internet is important in, in settings That's, like cruise ships. Oh, right? oh wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, you know, hotels are another place where people aren't really you know, there are people who value privacy staying in those hotel rooms. They don't really want our friends in Seattle listening to everything they do and say in a hotel room. I mean, half of the things That's that for sure. in hotel rooms, nobody wanted people to see. Right. Um, are are you so, are you yeah. citing these as are you citing these as uh, like existing um, industries that you're partnered with or just potential yeah, so we've, possibilities? We've been working with hospital systems. We've had some queries from cruise ship um, integrators. We haven't. We're not really across the line with the quality of our product yet to to go there. Okay. We've been working with automakers, you know, who look at Silicon Valley and say, you know, they ate the news industry. They ate the um, you know, they're eating the transportation industry with Uber and Lyft and Waymo. 
it's only a certain matter of time before they eat the auto industry. Is it really wise for us to put always listening microphones in the dashes of these cars and pass all the data off to the Valley? We're going to be competing against them in 10 minutes. Right. And so, hmm. you know, forward thinking executives are looking at these technologies and saying, how do we build something that's independent? And then they call me. So okay. we have a, okay. we have a, a ton of demand for what we're doing. Um, because I, I just, I, I, up until now, I couldn't really see the revenue model for Mycroft yeah, AI absolutely. aside, aside from, you know, the hardware sales, but we know the hardware sales are going to be a drop in the bucket, more of a, more of a proof of concept or, you know, flagship product to show uh, the, the AI at work. But yeah, that sounds a little more like a solid revenue stream for you guys. Yeah, the, the, for us on the money side of things, you know, on the back end, the eventual goal is to partner with folks like Deezer. If anybody out there is listening from Deezer, we would love to hear from you. Uh, um, I have several. To- I, will, I, will, I will spread that word. I have a few patrons yeah. who, uh, who just adore Deezer. To- and yeah. Yeah, we would love to hear from Deezer, specifically Deezer, because they have such a great product and such a great catalog. And they're in the EU and independent of Spotify. Um, but, you know, the idea is that we can bundle a music service with um, folks who choose to use our backend. So people who really don't want to set up their own server infrastructure and, you know, that's kind of a pain, right? They, they just want to have a smart speaker and have it work and not worry about people spying on them. Um, you know, that uses our backend called Selene. Uh, you know, we want to be able to bundle some music services and some other enhanced services with Selene and then, you know, have people who choose to use those services pay a monthly fee. That's, that's one piece uh, another is you're right, hospitals and cruise ship cruise lines and hotels. And, you know, we've been working, we have been working with NASA. I mean, there's, there's a lot of applications for, for voice assistants that require either being off the network or where they want enhanced privacy or, or control of their brands as an example, right? Like they want to build their own voice and their own wake word. Um, those are all opportunities. And then in terms of how we get big, you know, one of the things we found is that the, the, the venture capitalists in the Valley. And, and we do have some venture capital in the company, like a, a few funds, but nothing that's, we, we were very careful not to take enough money from VC that any of them have enough power to make us do anything at all. Right. Um, and so we've used crowdfunding almost exclusively both for pre-selling our products, but then also for funding the company. And so the idea is that, you know, the people who use our technology, the people who believe in our technology, the people who believe in privacy, can become investors in the company and that there are enough of those people that, you know, we can raise the meaningful amounts of money it takes to do something in this space that's relevant. Right. So we're raising money on, on start engine right now, um, startengine.com, or you can go to our website, hit the little invest now. And and would love to have anybody who's listening, who uh, believes in privacy, who believes in user agency, who believes that there can be open alternatives to big tech uh, to come and, and become an investor. And, you know, if we win, they win. And in the meantime, they get to, to come along for the ride. Right. So uh, that's always, it's always fun to, to have there, more people on the, on the roller coaster of the start. Yeah. Right? There, there are open alternatives to big tech, but the question is, are they competitive enough to be viable alternatives? Right. I mean, that's, that's something that we were discussing uh, in our last show as well, is that at some point I feel like, if you want a, a free privacy respecting open source alternative to all of the big tech offerings, you're probably going to have to pony up some cash for that so that they can bring their product up to a level where you would actually want to use it instead of the big tech offerings. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, you have to, you can't rely on being private or being open to get you from here to there if the if the experience that the people who are using that technology is getting is terrible yeah 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 the big tech companies and yeah it it, it has to be you know at least in this you know it doesn't have to be in the same league but you have to be at least playing the same sport right yeah and uh and so yeah the 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 it's important you know people believe in privacy it's one thing to to run around and say privacy this privacy that like if you really believe in it open your wallet Mm-hmm. Right. Because, you know, the, I guarantee you the, the guys who don't respect what privacy are getting big paydays. Um, and so, like, if you believe in it, open your wallet. And, you know, for a lot of the people who do believe in it, a $500 investment or subscribing to a $10 a month service. I mean, that's a rounding error if you're a modern machine learning developer who's being fairly paid. Right. So, yeah. like, open up yeah. your wallet and come play and, uh, and and let's see what we can build as a community together. I would I would wager a guess that a large part of my audience, and this was me included uh, for a while, a large part of my audience, when they hear Mycroft, they think of a certain Alan Pope. Hey, Mycroft, what are beans? Beans serving size 130G, total calories 132 Fat calories four percent daily value carrot asterisk total fat four hundred thirty three mg one percent saturated fat sixty one mg zero percent trans fat cholesterol zero g zero percent sodium two hundred sixty four mg eleven percent total carbohydrates twenty five g eight percent dietary fiber seven g twenty seven percent sugar one g Protein 8G. Mycroft. I've heard enough about beans. <laughs> and I think most people associate Mycroft with the, the, the Mark I product, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but now I'm starting to think about what does an ecosystem look like? An open privacy-respecting ecosystem. Like, say, for example, I'm using, I'm using Kubuntu 2110 here on my laptop. Um, I'm getting a, a Fairphone maybe with Graphene OS or I'm getting something with uh, Ubuntu Touch or Pure OS or any of the alternative mobile operating systems. Is it possible to easily integrate a voice assistant like Mycroft into all of that? So I think we're a little ways away from it happening. One of the things that's really limited our ability to grow is having a platform to grow on, right? Like, you know, we can't be shipped, you know, the... The Androids and the, the iOSs of the world won't give us access to the microphone 24-7, right? So right. we really, it makes it almost impossible. And I would argue that that's in violation of, of international law and violation on, on anti-competitive. It's anti-competitive. But um, I don't have, you know, I'm willing to fight this patent troll, but I'm not willing to fight Apple and Google right now. Uh, probably probably the, less, the, yeah. Yeah, I think that the guys at Epic are, are probably both happy and sad that they, they took those two to, to town. Um but yeah, the, the, an open ecosystem, number one, is possible. You know, we work very closely with the KDE team, the, the Blue Systems team, uh, on integrating. They're doing a lot of the graphics stuff on the new, new smart speaker. And then, then yeah, like building, oh, uh, you know, port, it, building portable. Yeah. Plasma, okay. you're talking about Plasma Mobile? Um, so it's running QT on top of KDE's rendering engine on top of their Plasma rendering. Oh, that's engine. awesome. So, that's cool. Okay. So yeah. Very cool. And the, the, K, 
the KDE team or the Blue Systems team has been really heavily involved in building all of that stuff and building all the, the graphic controls and things like that. We've, we've been working with them very closely since 2018, so the last three three or four years. Right on. Um, they've also built a Mycroft-powered smart display, so they've got the big screen um, that you can use voice technology on. So a lot of that stuff huh. is coming. Um, I think that in order for us to get to wide-scale adoption, we need some bigger corporates to come out and play. So, you know, we, we need you know, a, a, a TV company that sees a future that's not, a, you know, the, the TVs are currently in a race to the bottom to see which TV can spy on you more. So like the, you know, I, I, I recently set up a Sony and, and there, there must've been like five privacy agreements. I had to click through that thing in order to, you know, and that's very much playing big tech's game, yeah. right? That's what big tech wants, right? Like they, they'll inhabit your technologies right up until it makes sense for them to clone them. Then they'll clone them and put you out of business or make you a, you know, irrelevant. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, we, we'd love to have some of these, you know, even if they're smaller players, uh, speaker companies like Klipsch, right. Or, mm. um, you know, d- display makers that are making niche displays, mm. um, come out and say, Hey, look, like we want to do an open alternative. And, you know, the, the, our friends at Amazon do allow, multiple voice assistants to run on a device. So there's no reason these companies can't support Mycroft. They just, somebody in management needs to make that decision. And, and I think as more companies stand up and say, Hey, like we, you know, we want to name our voice assistant Al, and, you know, we want it to have a, the voice of an American trucker, or we want to name our voice assistant Astani, and we want it to have the voice of a, uh, uh, Argentine, Argentine cowboy. Right. Um, you know, the, the, I think that that opens up doors for, for us to be relevant. And so, you know, we become relevant because we work with big customers and we become relevant because we've got this huge community of, you know, people who've invested, people who are customers, people who are contributing data. That's what makes us relevant. Not, hmm. not Mike's, not Michael's checkbook. Um, yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I just, that like, that's, that's a scenario that I dream of, uh, you know, maybe, maybe, I don't know, someday down the road, um, Mycroft is, is shipped in Fedora, which is sold by Lenovo. I don't know. They're just that, like, we need that alternative. We really, really need one. What can the the larger Linux and open source community? And I shouldn't. I I shouldn't even say just the Linux and open source community. Really, I should say anyone who wants a privacy respecting device like this, a voice assistant. Uh, what can what can we all do to kind of raise the profile of, of what you're doing to raise awareness? So there's a variety of different things for people who work at some of these companies, right? Because there's a lot of people in the open source community who, you know, in their private capacity, um, you know, really support open and private. And then they go to work for the man right during the day. You know, if if, if those folks would stand up and advocate and say, hey, look, like, here's the strategic reasons that we should be working with an open voice assistant company, right? That, that we don't want to be beholden to big tech, that we want to be able to control our brand. We want to be able to make new voices. We want, you know, um, you know, I'm willing to stand up and, you know, lead a project to port Mycroft to, you know, whatever the risk processor, um, you know, that would be huge. Right. Uh, two also advocating within those folks who could be partners. So Deezer is a great example, but they're, you know, everything from weather data to, you know, you know, build it, you know, Wikipedia, right? Like better yeah. integrating with Wikipedia for voice. All of that would be huge. And so folks who have those jobs, we'd love to see that type of, that type of activity. Um, you know, folks who can write software who are great at it, you know, come to our GitHub and, and don't, you know, we love creative contributions. Like Mycroft tells Chuck Norris jokes. It's fantastic. <laughs> but we have 
a long list of bugs and problems that need to be fixed. And it would, it's much more useful to the broader community for people to pick up a tough bug and go solve it than it is for them to build some new novel feature that, that then we're going to have to support, right, um, long term. Um, so folks who can write software, we'd love to have them contribute. Um, you know, folks who 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 want to, you know, show that there's demand, uh, you can pre-order a Mark II on our website for a dollar, right? And you don't pay for it until we actually ship it. One dollar, so, folks. You know, the Steam Deck you had to $1. you had to you had to deposit five dollars to reserve that thing. So yeah, one dollar exactly. and. Yeah, so your risk is a dollar, and uh, you know we already have uh, it's north of a million, and maybe as much as two million dollars in pre-orders. So you know there's there's a lot of people out there that are looking for a wow a privacy respecting uh, smart speaker. Um, you know we're we're standing up manufacturing uh, with our partner Aztec uh, this year, and, and as soon as the the supply chain loosens up and we can actually like it's so funny the the you know we use a TI amplifier um, in the in the speaker. And it's like a 70 cent part, right? It's the type of thing that you'd be able to buy in, you know, in bucket loads yeah. three years ago. And our Dwayne, who's running our, our fabrication team, you know, just sent me an email the other day. He's like, I was able to get a thousand of these. Like, oh my God, like we're so lucky. And we're just like, ah. Oh, so you're just kind of stockpiling whatever you can right now, basically. Yeah, like right? any anytime any part that we're using becomes available, we just reach out and buy them all. Um, but yeah, the the when supply chains loosen up and that manufacturing process kicks off, um, that'd be great. And then, you know, folks who do have the the luxury and the privilege of being able to make investments, um, you know, we would love to have them as investors in Mycroft. Um, I think the minimum investment is five hundred dollars. Um, you know, don't invest your retirement savings in grandma's pension fund. But if you've got an extra five hundred dollars lying around and you were going to get on Robinhood and play with AMC and GameStop. You know, we would much we would much appreciate appreciate you becoming a long term <laughs> investor in, in Minecraft. Um, you know, uh, get some of that get some of that money out of Tether. And I cannot highlight to people: don't put money in Tether. It is a musical chairs scheme, and eventually the music will stop. And it's not <laughs> like one person's going home. There's only one chair, dude. So, um, but yeah, if yeah. you've got your money in Tether. Um, you know, it might make more sense to put it into a company that's, you know, building stuff. So, yeah. This is a question born out of ignorance because I, I don't have any personal experience with Mycroft. Can a, can a Mycroft device be used in conjunction with Home Assistant? Yes, there's a big awesome. project. And, okay. And actually, one of the things we're really excited about is that both Home Assistant and Kaldi um, really don't have a hardware device right now. Like Home Assistant makes a, I think it's like a shell for the Raspberry Pi. Yeah. But they're, the last I checked, and this may have changed, they didn't really have something you could buy like, like a SmartThings hub, right? You could just go to the website and buy it and have it show up. Mm. Um, and so when we ship the Mark II, what, one of the things we're looking at is creating a build for it that basically, if you want to be a Home Assistant user and you want that same basic experience that you'd get with SmartThings, right? Like it's all nice and gooey and you don't want to build stuff. You just want to plug it in and go. That the Mark II would be, would be a, a vehicle for that, right? And so, you know, we're using Raspberry Pi at the core of the Mark II. I think we're using maybe one of the USB ports, um, but the other ones are available. So you could plug a Z-Wave, uh, a Z-Wave USB dongle into it, and boom, you know, run up Home Assistant, and then ideally have it officially supported. Um, we're using Pantacore, which is a, a an open source team that, that came out of Ubuntu for uh, atomic updates. So, you know, ideally you'd be able to grab a Pantacore image for Home Assistant loaded on Mycroft, like just just hit the button and go, right? Oh, that's exciting. Um, and, that's exciting. And, 
And then the same for Kaldi, right? Like set it on this, set it on the side of your TV, you know, plug in the HDMI port on the back of the Raspberry Pi and boom, you know, all of the, the experience that you get from Kaldi, uh, you know, right out of the box. So th those are two things that we're looking at. Um, I should probably specify we have no official relationship with either of those projects. So like if I'm using their brand and their trademarks um, in an appropriate way, apologies, guys. Uh, but yeah, we would love to be able to provide a piece of hardware that's flexible across all of those applications. So mycroft.ai is where people can go to tribute, invest, preserve, learn, yep. integrate, all of that, all that good stuff. Yep. And, uh, and one of the projects I'd love to see the community undertake, um, you know, when I talk about bringing data back from, from our community and then tagging it and putting it to use in the machine learning stuff, we built some early versions of that, um, but have been so heads down just making the core experience you know, taking it to the level that it is even playing the same sport as Alexa and, and, and uh, Google assistant uh, that a lot of that's kind of fallen by the wayside. And so I would love to have the community step up and start taking ownership of some of that. Um, you know, we have these speakers in the world. We have, you know, about 5% of the people who use Minecraft choose to donate their data. Mm -hmm. All of that data is coming in, but right now we don't have tools for tagging it, classifying it and improving the machine learning models so, you know, if the community was looking for a project to contribute, that would be huge. Okay. You know, integrating RASA, the open source NLU stack, and really doing a good job of it is another place we would love some help. And then, uh, you know, getting deep speech to the point where it's commercially viable, um, either through the, I don't know if it's been abandoned or what the situation is with deep speech and Mozilla, but either through deep speech or through the, the Koki team, uh, a lot of the guys from deep speech went out and started a new project called Koki. Um, that's another place where, where we'd love to see great progress. That would be really helpful. Man, there's a lot of opportunity here. <laughs> a lot. Yeah. It's really exciting. Well, and it's a, you know, it's like a 35 or a $40 billion market by the end of this decade. So, I mean, I'll put it this way. Uh, the previous fastest growing technology ever was the smartphone. Mm -hmm. If you remember back in 2007, when the iPhone debuted, like two, three years later, everyone had either an Android or an iPhone phone. Like the, the, the flip phone ceased to exist. Yeah. In fact, you can date movies by the guy having the razor phone, right? Like, Oh, yes. he flips the razor. Oh, I, this movie was made in 2006. Right. Um, you know, so that was prior to now the fastest growing technology ever. Right. Smart speakers rate of adoption has eclipsed that. So it is literally the fastest growing technology in the history of mankind. Right. So I, there are I need a second. I need a second yeah. to let that sink in because I don't know if that's, I think that's mainly just frightening. I mean, I, I love what these devices can do for us, but I'm also uh, a little bit scared. I think is the, the honest word about what these yeah. what these devices look like 10 15 years from now you know and what yeah. what they're george, doing and what they're george, learning about us yeah george orwell kind of envisioned this future where the you know the the mega states forced people to have tvs that watched them and monitor them you know something you know cuba style right um they don't even have to force know. us we're doing it voluntarily <laughs> apparently the population will pay to install surveillance equipment in their own home right? and so yeah transparency privacy user agency you know all of these things are are important today will be more important in the future have you have you guys reached out to uh linux distribution maintainers to see like do you want a voice assistant in pop os 
or something like that. We have relationships. So, so actually Ryan, my co-founder went to system 76 for a couple of years and, and, you know, as Alan Pope and a lot of these guys came out of the Ubuntu community and mm-hmm. I've, I've spoken to, to some of the maintainers of Fedora. Um, so I've had those conversations, but you know, we haven't really been ready for prime time. I mean, the, okay. the, we've been doing a project for the last year or so called eight plus two, where the goal is to, you know, the plus two is the setup and the configuration. And then to have the top eight skills that people use be just super tight and work really well and provide that really great experience because you know, a vast majority of people use smart speakers for general Q&A, right? They just want to ask a basic question. Mm. They want to listen to music. They want to listen to the news. They want to set a timer. They want to get the weather. And that's really it. Like, you know, they don't want to play, you know, some small percentage wants to play poker with their voice assistant. But, you know, a vast majority of the use cases are just those really simple utility cases. And so we've been working really hard on that. And, you know, once we've got that user experience tight, I think that's when we go and expand and, you know, there, there are two types of hardware companies, right? Two, Uh, one of them, and and there's a great example of this is Ubiquity Networks, right? At Ubiquity Networks, when they develop some new, like super fancy five gigahertz that moves like 10 gigs, like 50 miles for $9, like they do over there, it's a great company. Um, You know, their shelves are empty. You can never buy anything because they sold it out. And Ubiquity Networks has been that way for the last 10 years. Like ever since I started working with them, you'd go put an order in. It's like, hey, we don't have any stuff because we sold it all. Um, and then there are the companies that, you know, like Juicero, right, who have a – they're out of business, so it's okay to pick on them. Um, <laughs> who, have a warehouse, who have a warehouse full of juicers that nobody needs and nobody wants, right? Or um, And so we are very much the first type. Uh, we have so many pre-orders, so many people who are interested in, in what we're doing that – we're hoping to keep up, but it, it really does look like this giant mountain of demand. You know, the the if it, the future looks very bright. So. I, I think it's admirable that you guys aren't trying to rush the product out there. You know, I think it's admirable that you are waiting until that experience is tight and, and, and as you said, ready for prime time. Because you only get, I mean, it's a cliche, but you only get one chance at a first impression. So... Well, we... We shipped the Mark One, <laughs> so we did make that first impression. Well, but I mean, you know, I mean, as far as like a just a voice we, assistant we on a this thing you know from whole cloth man in our maker yeah. space. Like it, this wasn't like hey, like we have an Echo and we're gonna like clone it. Like we invented this from whole cloth. Like it was this was just like cold. Like are we gonna let's give it a face? Okay, like it wasn't because everybody else didn't give their thing a face. It's that that's that's. You know, at the time we were really inspired by like some of the cartoonists that were doing cool things. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, like we, so the, the Mark one, like we didn't even know Barton was a thing, right? The idea that it could be playing and listening at the same time. And so we put the microphone in the resonating chamber with the driver. So when that driver's running, you can't, it's not that like we can't eliminate it in software, the physical device can't hear mm. Mycroft seven percent. Shut up. Sugar one G. Protein eight G. Mycroft fifteen percent. I've heard enough about beans. And so it makes bargain really difficult. And then of course we knew nothing about audio design. The Mark II, by the way, sounds great because we've been doing a lot of work on it. That's we knew good. nothing about audio design, and so the resonating chamber as we designed it was just terrible. And so it sounds really tinny. Um, now you know we did do some very cool stuff. Uh, but yeah, we shipped and we sold all those out. Like, I mean, and and actually, we got almost no RMAs. Like, oh, that's got, that's a big, big deal. Yeah, that's a big. Yeah, deal. we got like 
three devices back. And so, you know, the Mark II is intended to really be the 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 go-to-market, like, hey, like we're building something that's relevant, that works well, that people are going to use and like, that's going to sound great, it's going to do all the stuff that they want to do and be super flexible. And then ideally be the foundation from which we do a, a line of speakers, um, a new Mark one that's, you know, a size of like one of these little hockey pucks hmm. that's maybe 50 bucks, um, you know, the Mark two, which is kind of a mid range speaker. And then a, a Mark three, that's got the full eight inch screen and, you know, a nice set of drivers on it. Um, and, and then finally like boats and speaker, you know, microphone companies and boat companies and car companies and TV companies and, you know, brothels and hotels and, you know, any, any place that people want privacy. Right. And, you know, we're, we're looking to mm. looking to put a smart speaker in it. Excellent. So. Excellent. Well, dude, thank you so much for uh, enlightening me and I'm sure many other people uh, about just everything I, I had until this conversation. I, I did not understand the, the possibilities of what you guys are building. And now I'm really, really excited about it. And now I want to like, you know, light some fires and, uh, and get other people excited about it too. So keep us posted on, I will. you know, I will. on the Mark II and on your relationships with, uh, with distro developers and, and all, all that stuff that's relevant. It'd be good. And to my, my good friend, Ryan Sipes, who is in, in Moscow, um, with his lovely wife who works for the, the state department there, um, you know, green, unicorn sandal green unicorn sandal and we'll just see what F- fsb makes of that so <laughs> i need to talk to ryan again you know i had him on the show <laughs> i had him on the show last yeah, year yeah. yeah that was a great conversation um yeah i always joke that we say things we say things like that and uh like he goes to the public park and puts a piece of tape on a sign right and like, <laughs> here comes the fsb car behind him right but, yeah so anyway all right. Well, hey, thanks for uh, thanks for waking up so early over there in Hawaii to to be on the show. Appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me on. Appreciate it, Jason. Thank you, you bet. So you bet. Welcome to a new segment called Tech for Everyone. Tech for Everyone, um, it started out, okay, so there's a there's a little bit of a history to Tech for Everyone, and maybe I should just briefly explain this before we get into our, our topic here. Um, for a brief moment in time, about three months, the, the three, three of the best months of my professional writing career, um, I was paid handsomely to write about technology at voice.com before they pivoted 180 and decided we're going to be an NFT marketplace instead. Anyway, um, it was glorious. They helped me create this brand that would that was uh, kind of a um, an arm, I guess, a, a related brand arm of Linux for everyone. It was called Tech for Everyone, and it was basically going to uh, it was taking the same approach that we have at Linux for everyone and just making making you know fun, accessible conversations about technology, mainly consumer technology. We called it tech for everyone. And it was just really a lot of fun. It, it made writing fun. And uh, anyway, I won't get, I won't get too into that, but um, then I thought then voice voice shut down. Uh, they decided to 
know, kill what they were building. And uh, I thought, okay, I'm going to do a newsletter. I'll call a tech for everyone. It'll be, it'll be huge. It'll be amazing. And I realized like newsletters are a lot of work, guys. <laughs> they really are. They're a lot of work. Um, I got a few hundred subscribers and I love you guys for doing that. And it's not dead, um, but I'm just, you know, I'm still juggling so many plates in my hands that uh, I haven't had time to, to devote to that as much as I'd like. But then kind of did a logo redesign and thought, what if tech for everyone was like the umbrella of Linux for everyone? Under tech for everyone, you have Linux for everyone, games for everyone, music for everyone, coffee for everyone, books for everyone. That's why, long story short, that we wanted to introduce uh, a segment called Tech for Everyone into the Linux for Everyone show or into the channels itself. Because what I've noticed in this three-year journey that I've had with Linux in the, in the open source community is that by and large... You're going to have that, that I want to say, vocal minority who champions nothing but FOSS, nothing but GNU slash Linux, right? You know what? Good for you guys. But I think that I have a, a pretty broad um, slice of, like, I mean that I talk to a lot of people and I have a fairly large community. And what that community tells me is we don't mind using Mac OS. We don't mind using Windows. We prefer Linux. And, you know, we love Linux and we would mainly prefer to use Linux the majority of our days, but we're not opposed to using other technology because technology is fun and it's awesome. And we like to explore other things besides just Linux and open source. Um, because technology is a tool and you use the right tool for the job. And um, that being said... We wanted to uh, talk about things that are a little bit outside the Linux ecosystem, but, you know, that might someday become a very important part of the ecosystem, like this Apple M1 MacBook Air. Oh, yeah. That everybody seems to own, by the way. <laughs> um, I was late to the party. I, I drove to Geneva uh, to visit my brother-in-law. And realized there's an Apple store there. And I was like, uh-oh. I, I traded in my 2016 MacBook Pro. Got like 800 USD for it. 2016 MacBook Pro. And only paid a few hundred bucks for the M1 Air. So I was a little late to the party. But then I started noticing, as I was saying in another segment that we just did, about like when you buy a new car and you notice that, that same make and model all over the place. Um... <laughs> I have noticed that everyone in a, a ton of people in our community, you know, shout out to Justin and Jerry and uh, just all kinds of people seem to be just like sprouting MacBook Airs M1 or, you know, or they're or they're buying the M1 Pro or the M1 Max and that's arriving next week. The lucky bastards. I need to slow down, but we need to talk about the M1 Mac, I think, because we both have it now and um I, I think that there's a lot to unpack, even a year later. And I feel like it's still a very exciting product, even with the, the higher tiered M1 Pro and M1 Max. So I'm going to shut up, Shickle, and I'm going to bask in the glory that is the newness of your M1 MacBook Air, because you got one like a week ago, right? 
or I did I not even like two or three days ago so just just spew like go thoughts right. impressions hopes dreams impressions let me let me just put it this way one day i got a macbook air the very next morning i completely cleaned off my desk rearranged it permanently fixated a a, a dock dedicated for the air to connect all my peripherals and i have no other machine here <laughs> so first off it immediately became my primary device for like all intents and purposes yeah and then the day after that i replaced the the shared machine in the house the main machine which had a 16 or um, a 16 thread 8 core ryzen 2700 or an rx 5700 xt 32 gigs of ram um i decommissioned that and there's now a mac mini a beautiful silver mac mini sitting on the desk plugged into a super ultra wide <laughs> oh hold on you got a mini oh yeah oh i, I thought it was an i thought it was an air oh no i got it i got the air and the oh air. oh That's snap all. i didn't know you really i didn't realize you got both the air oh convincing. man that's how bad and good it is at the same time like the condition is bad the situation is great okay why is the situation great um i want you to tell me why the very next day you were just like (laughs) (laughs) just yeah there is a, a a disproportionate amount of silence compared to performance compared to the amount of time i can be on battery and altogether experience the same level that i would do on a machine often costing maybe twice three times as much with sacrifices in efficiency and size and um just the sound of it all um it's just i i I have never picked up a device like this and expected it to not only let's I, I I play CS:GO right, and native resolution, everything's on high settings, and I'm averaging 80, 90 FPS consistently, uh, with a device that isn't actively cooled. <laughs> um, kind of crazy, and on battery. And beyond that, it doesn't end there. I I I tossed in some 8K clips into iMovie. Yeah iMovie, a, a, a free app, yeah, a free app. Exactly, free, comes with the Mac, and uh, rendered out some video, and it just, it did it on battery, and I, I barely took a hit on the, the battery life. Like, I just, my 8-core, 16-thread, crazy machine over there can't even do that with Windows and default installed software. Windows comes with a video editor. I can't yeah. even do 1080p reliably on that. Yeah, so I know it's. I I I I don't know how to process it. Like I'm like speechless constantly because it just does things and it doesn't expect much from you at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, it does expect your money and your loyalty. There's so much to unpack, and at the same time, I feel like I'm I'm in a bit of a defensive posture. I feel like the relationship that Linux users have with Mac OS and with Apple is completely different than it is with Microsoft and Windows. Yeah. You know what I mean? 
it, it's, it's a it's a subtle difference, maybe, but with Windows, it's kind of like, eh, I'll use it if I have to. People accept it. They accept it like it's it's a thing. It's just you know, it's pervasive. It's everywhere. Okay, it exists. Fine. Um, you know, oh, Microsoft's bringing Edge, or they might bring Office to Linux. Yay! You know, um, uh, WSL, obviously. Like uh, whether whether you want to consider that uh, embracing Linux users or trying to extinguish Linux <laughs> is your call. Okay, I'm not here to make that judgment call. But with Mac OS, it's just like love or hate, just yeah. pure love or hate. Like Apple is the devil and they're evil, just like Facebook or. Oh my god, I love Mac OS. Honestly, it's just my observation, and I could be wrong. I always come across conversations, if you can call them conversations, where the, the impression and the, the claims that people make are that Apple is just sort of like hanging a carrot in front of users, and they're too dumb to just do anything else. Well, no, that's, like that's, that's Intel's impression, actually. Intel's impression oh, of yeah. Apple users. Yeah, I've seen that. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Woo! Oh my goodness. <laughs> That's gonna backfire. And I think it, right. I think it did. If you look <laughs> at uh, if you look at the Twitter conversations and the um, the ratio of up and down votes on the on the videos, yeah, yeah. It's, they've it's been backfired. trying this for like a year now. It's, it's still not still not working. I wonder why. Uh. <laughs> uh, but but to to kind of piggyback on what you were saying, um, I went and got the uh, M1 MacBook Air. You know what? I've never used any piece of hardware like this before. The closest I have come. Not that there aren't other similar products, maybe, but um, the uh, Tuxedo Infinity Book Pro 14, which, uh, if I'm not mistaken, is fanless. It's about the same size, the same thickness, the same weight. Very, very high resolution screen, 3K, 3K screen, a little higher than 3K, maybe. Um, nice. Yeah, it's in gorgeous, you know, beautiful, super bright, super deep colors. Uh, so that is the that is the kind of the closest analog. They're not they're they're not the same experience because for starters, uh, M1 is of course based on ARM technology, and it is just way way more power efficient than you could possibly believe in in shocking ways. Like y- you were saying that you play CS:GO, right? One the the first yeah. weekend I had this, I wanted to do some gaming on it, and I didn't want to be in the office, you know. Like, I get that mentality sometimes where even if I'm playing a game for fun, I feel like I'm working because I'm in the office. And so I was like, I want to go out on the couch and and grab, like, a, a game pad and just play something on the Mac and, and just just chill out, right? So it was charged up. I grabbed my controller, uh, my, my PS4 controller, synced it up, Bluetooth, no problem, uh, and went and just sat on the couch and played the... Tomb Raider reboot that Feral Interactive did for both Linux and uh, Mac OS. I kid you not, I was playing that on high quality, getting like 50 to 65 FPS, and I played for five hours. I played a triple A graphically demanding game on a laptop for five hours, and it barely heated up, it was silent, and I still had like 25% battery left. What? That's unbelievable. It's just, it's unreal. <laughs> like it's, it's so ridiculous. Like it's, it almost makes me like not 
want to use anything else. Actually, it does make me not want to use anything else. Like, because well, it's just like, this is, this is the standard now, right? Like, yes. we know it's possible. And realistically, I'm not going to lie, we've known it's been possible for ages. It's been hiding but, in a corner with, uh, in, in iPads and iPhones that yeah. this, this potential has been here all along. You're absolutely right. Yeah, exactly. And honestly, we, we maybe see some things where Intel is experimenting with these like efficiency cores and non-efficiency cores. But at the end of the day, they're still going to suffer from the same problems that make even their most powerful processors pale in comparison. And it's that they lack optimization for specific tasks that everybody benefits from. Yeah, they're so generic that I mean, it doesn't. It it just doesn't. It almost doesn't matter what you use. You could use Windows or Linux, and it would suffer either way. I am positive that uh, I think we're going to see more ARM systems seep into our lives, and I think that people are going to start realizing because uh, Intel and AMD, AMD for the most part, it has especially with the Ryzen four thousand, five thousand series. I mean, they they're pretty damn power efficient. If you look at the uh, the Pulse 15 from Tuxedo, which is actually what I'm recording on right now, the battery life on that is insane. It's it's fantastic. Battery life-wise, like this is the closest that you can get to a MacBook Air for an, an M1, a non-Intel MacBook Air. So I think Intel has a little more catching up to do, but I think it's going to take both of these companies several years to catch up to the power efficiency of where Apple is right now and many more years and a whole lot of resources and, and R&D to catch up to their performance per watt in terms of compute and graphics. Because as we saw, like, everyone's starting to catch up with the M1 Air, like, slowly, you know? You're starting to see the, the gap close just a little bit with Intel 11th Gen and Intel XE and Ryzen, you know, 6000, or on the horizon, anyway. Ryzen 5000. Uh, and then Apple, of course, announces yeah. the M1 Pro and M1 Max, and it's just like, pfft, no one's, sorry, no one's catching them for years. <laughs> now, the biggest praise that I can give the standard M1 is that as excited as I was about the power and the potential and the, the just the raw horsepower of those new M1 Pro and M1 Max chips, I looked at my M1 Air and I was like, I'm happy with it. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I'll wait till, you know, two or three more generations and then maybe I'll pick one up. But right now I'm good. I didn't have the yeah. hardware lust. You know, I didn't have the hardware lust going, Jason, buy me, buy me, buy me. I didn't have it. <laughs> I got mine a day or two, I think a couple days after the event. Which is crazy, and, by the way. Yeah. I think it's one thing to buy it a few months before these things are unveiled. But you went out and you bought <laughs> like what is sort of a generation old thing officially yeah after the event and yeah, you're still right, like, and you're still ecstatic with it right exactly yeah, like that's yeah. just how impressive it is i looked at it and i'm gonna be honest with you i am thrilled and i i probably will at some point get one probably a month or two three months after um pre-order stop everybody's got their stuff and mm -hmm. i'm confident they're not going to release reviews. anything yeah <laughs> yeah i want to see some reviews um, obviously but but honestly like just the level of power the air has for being what it is um 
it's mind blowing. And the M1 Pro, the M1 Max are an entirely different level. And Mm -hmm. I will be honest, the entire architecture, this entire family are all so good at everything they do. I don't even need that. Yeah, I, I, I'm the same way, and I'm I'm definitely what I would consider a power user. Despite all of my praise, all of our praise for for the M1, it's still not my daily driver. I'm using Kubuntu twenty one ten on a you know a tuxedo laptop right now to nice. to record this right because there are many aspects of Mac OS that that that's lacking. For one thing, I'm not going to play games on it. Yes. Once in a while, I will go play a five-year-old game on the couch with my Mac. But if I want to play Deathloop or Death Stranding or, you know, or any number of games that have come out recently, uh, I'm going to be on my Linux box. Radeon 6800 XT and a Ryzen 3900X and 32 gigs of RAM and like seven different hard drives, you know. And you cannot touch, you still cannot touch the customization of a good Linux distro. Oh, yeah. You know, I've got my Kubuntu, like, all decked out exactly how I love it. I love Plasma. I love the customiz- customization, the animations, the uh, the default apps are all brilliant. You know, I love using Plasma. That's the only thing I miss when I use Mac OS is I miss the customization and all the eye candy that I can have. But I'll tell you one thing, Shiggle. <laughs> if we ever reach a reality where game publishers are like, we need to start putting our games on Mac OS because this is some pretty powerful stuff. Um, then I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, and this is where, you know, I feel like I shouldn't feel this way, right? I shouldn't feel bad about talking about a piece of hardware that isn't running Linux. Yeah. But guess what? Someday it's going to. And that is one of the reasons that I bought the M1 Air is the Asahi Linux project. Right now, the current status of Asahi Linux, and this guy is working, this guy is getting a, a basically what amounts to a full-time salary to have this entire team put together, devoted to giving users a first-class Linux experience on M1 hardware. And uh, in fact, the project announced um, just hours after after the Mac event recently, that they are buying an M1 Pro and M1 Max, and they're going to work on that too. Um, right now, there are people within the team who are using their M1 MacBooks as a daily driver Linux desktop. But yeah. the only exception being that it's not graphics accelerated yet. It's not hardware accelerated. There are so many driver pieces that are coming into place and that are being actually inserted into the kernel and one more thing is that they're uh, they are currently building an installer for the rest of us, right? For the the people who are not Linux command line wizards, who you know, us who need it, us who need it. Like we need a typical, like you know, give us a normal Linux installer so that we can put this on there without blowing our, you know, exploding our heads. Um, so that is in that is in production right now, and I'm gonna say like within the next. Six months maximum, we're going to have a very, very awesome Linux experience on the M1 hardware. I'm looking forward to that day. Really, really looking forward to that be a day. Good time. It's a tricky conversation to have, isn't it? Like, it, it, as someone who really is, it's a minefield. I feel like there's a filter in my head. My, my filter, yeah. the filter is here, and the filter is 
you're recording something for the Linux for Everyone channel, right? And all the content yeah. is like sifting through that. All the things I want to say are sifting through that. <laughs> and um, I just shouldn't feel like that. And that's that's one of the reasons why I had um, I had considered rebranding it into Tech for Everyone is because yeah, there's uh, I know a lot of people don't want to hear me talk about Windows or Mac OS, right? Yeah. But there is an intersection. There is an intersection here that I'm going to be exploring that I'm very, very excited about. But I've got to tell you guys that as someone who's who's a content producer and who does this kind of stuff all day, the Mac hardware makes it easier for me. It does. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it makes it easier for me. It's quieter. It It's more portable. I uh, get more time away from the wall. It has put me... It's difficult. The purchase of this mac has made me feel very conflicted and that's because it's yeah. such a damn good product and yeah. i'm i'm the one i'm the one out here preaching like preaching do yes you, linux you, and open source but also saying like use the right tool for the job yeah do, do you have other apple devices by the way or is it just the macbook i have a an ipad that i bought like at the beginning of 2020 and i pretty much just okay. i don't use that very often like if i'm in bed i might read some news or i might play so, uh i've been playing the crap out of lego star wars battles because that game's great oh the game is so much fun i love lego yeah oh. uh but i don't use it as any kind of like regular device so I, i've discovered something that i i kind of knew was the case but experiencing it you know more firsthand especially in in such a well-developed area so my mom uses an iphone i'll probably get one again as well mm. Um, and then I've got this air here. My mom actually just got her Apple watch, which I'm super thrilled by. Cause like she, she's been needing one for ages now. And, um, uh, so I, I helped her set that up. And so I got to experience how that whole thing goes. Right. Mm. First and foremost, amazing setting it up. You literally just hover the, the watch displays some interesting, like crazy, cool, cryptic shit. You hover the camera in the watch app over it, boom, syncs, paired, immediately, done. Yeah. It's connected. Yeah. And assigned Easy. to you. Simple. Yes. Yeah. And then I, I went to set up the, the Mac Mini. Um, first off, by the way, the, the fact that I just plugged it into the super ultra wide thing and it just worked. Mm. Like that's that was part of the decision to like wait for iMac to be in stock or get Mac mini and just plug it into existing hardware. I signed into my Apple thing, Apple ID having an update was super fast and easy. Like it literally just press it. Don't even think about it. Just go away. Mm -hmm. Everything can happen in the background. Um, but the whole like find my device thing was synced up and ready. The whole, um, like activities understanding between them, yeah. synced up and ready yeah. right like all of this stuff just happened and hmm. um if you have an iphone um and you have it enabled on on mac uh i don't have it but i saw it when my mom was using it um in your dock and you're doing stuff on your iphone it'll actually show you some of the tasks that you're doing on the phone so if you set yeah. your phone down and you want to pick I've up about that on that task mm -hmm. it just comes up on the mac yeah and messages iMessage not only does it sync your iMessages but even the SMS messages to the desktop and it includes autofill 
So if you're signing into an account and you get that iMessage thing, you don't even have to open it. You just click the thing that says autofill from messages on your laptop or your desk. Like, this is why? Why can why can Windows the the most prominent? <laughs> I know they're trying. This has been something that I know Apple has been able to do for years. But it's obviously still impressive experiencing it firsthand when I've been yeah. out of that ecosystem for so long. It's It's been at least three or four years for me now. Mm-hmm. So to get back into it and realize that, wow, it's this good, it's only gotten better, and everyone is still so far behind. Yeah, I know, I know. This is, it hurts. This is, this is one of the biggest areas of opportunity for desktop Linux. And, and this is something that I, you know, yes, I am, I am helpless to do anything about it. I'm not a programmer. I can do things like raise awareness and I can do things like connecting people. Um, this concept of a, of a cohesive ecosystem, regardless of the device you're on, is something that Linux is so far away from. I don't even, I don't even know how long it's going to take to get there. Just last night, actually, Shickle, I was talking to Joshua Montgomery, who's one of the co-founders of Mycroft AI. They're doing some really exciting things right now, and I can't wait for you guys to hear that interview. Um, but I was telling him, you know, I really, I, I daydream about the existence of this coherent ecosystem where I can have something like uh, a UbiPorts phone or maybe Graphene OS or, you know, a, a more privacy-centric phone, maybe a Linux, mobile, Plasma Mobile, right? Give me a Plasma Mobile phone with Mycroft AI voice assistant and and uh, this synergy with my Kubuntu uh, Plasma desktop and laptop or other distros besides besides Plasma, right? And, and I want that synergy. I want, because I have, I know first world problems, but I have a lot of devices. I It, it would be so wonderful to have that kind of cohesiveness that you were just talking about on our non-Apple and non-Windows devices. We need that. We need that before anyone is going to take desktop Linux seriously. We have the technical capacity. That's what I'm excited about. We've got got all of the capacity. We have everything you could want. (laughs) The pieces are all there. The knowledge is there. The skill is there. I feel like it's all there. But how do we build it? How do we... Like, I don't know this. It's I'm, I'm so, I'm so exasperated by it because there are so many brilliant minds. If anybody is going to come close to it, it's going to be the elementary OS guys and gals. Oh, I believe it. The elementary OS people. They, they tend to be able to like apply vision and make it happen. And I like in a way that I just, I, I don't think is, is paralleled or at least you know the same as as any other project mm-hmm. right like they they just seem to think things out in a way that is unique to them and i think that's their strength right that's that's what defines them um so well it is it, just that they their vision is is tracked so well deepen may have Something close to this. Don't quote me on it, but I haven't covered Deepin in like a year. Uh, but I thought that they had something. And now I think it was like Deepin Cloud, and it may have only launched in China. 
but it was it was that kind of a basic concept where you know you could um you could sync your wi-fi networks and your desktop settings and your basic preferences to the cloud and then log in on a new installation and sync all that down and like we don't even we don't even have that kind of basic tool in ubuntu for christ's sake in fedora and if i'm wrong please 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 correct me um and i know there are plenty of scripts and solutions and workarounds but none of those are for average everyday people Gotta step off my podium. Step off my soapbox. We also don't have that. Like we have like some apps for it, and it's it's kind of cool, but they're sort of semi-supported and not built into everything. Is um backup applications that are actually like (gasps) genuinely intelligent. (laughs) Like, can I? I just I want to point out that something I've been working on is um just repurposing one of my machines. As a backup server. Oh, yes. And okay, let's get into this. Let's get into this. Because you talked to me about this uh, in our group, and I want to hear all about this. This is... Okay, go. So I've been tinkering with Time Machine. And for any of you who don't know what Time Machine is, it's a incremental backup solution that macOS has. And the, the benefits of this, it, incremental is a key part here, is that it tracks changes made rather than every backup being a full system dump yes so, so like delta like delta updates exactly. but, but for backups yeah it takes up less space but it also allows you to track changes as they happen so you don't end up with uh just losing steps of the way there yeah. you know like and it does that visually undo. right like when you enter what what is, what is it called time machine it yeah. kind of like warps you into like okay this is what your file system looked like yesterday and this is what it looked like a week ago and yeah you just scroll through it and if you're looking for a certain file and you pick it out and you go boom restore it done it's back yeah and restoring it doesn't break the 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 flow of the time machine backup in any way either it like i've seen backup solutions where if you restore a file it sort of messes with it in previous instances of the archive that should never happen right it's beautiful and do you know what it took to set this up to to just enable this backup system and have it track these changes and just automatically have like some hourly and daily and weekly and monthly backups plugging in a drive i don't know plugging how, how in a drive ooh, ooh, okay literally plugging in a drive and clicking the Enable automatic backups button. This is, I by the way, not still not something Windows 11 does. How? No. How are we in 2021 with a brand new Microsoft operating system, and we do not, we are not presenting users with a backup solution out of the box, right? They they have OneDrive uh, file history. Ah, <laughs> it's, it's not great. It's not, it's really not great. Are it's, you devoting? Are you devoting a storage drive or a partition to backups using that the file history yeah no you could dump it anywhere yeah uh, then then yeah yeah it's it's not okay all right all right i i I digress i digress um do you want to give a quick shout out though to deja dupe on uh on linux because that is also an incremental backup system which is 
not they as it's really cool not as not as beautiful not not as uh accessible in terms of you know gui um but still very effective and, and works really well continue I think something that um, I would love to see with things like Deja Dupe is integration into the file system, all right? Um, mm. Being able to right-click and restore from this time or being able to yeah. do things like that, yeah, absolutely. that would make it much more, I think, uh, approachable to users to use their backups. Yeah, familiar, too, because people kind of people know about that, that yeah. OneDrive-style integration. Exactly. You know, and that's that's what they're used to, that contextual right-click yeah. Yeah. And at the moment, I think you sort of just have to pick an archive and then just restore it and browse the folder and figure it, figure it out. So, but it works really well and it can back up to Google drive, it can back up to remote or yeah. local or remote network drives. So mm-hmm. that's pretty handy. Yeah. But again, not, not enabled on, on all distros. I, I, I think it is enabled yeah. by default in certain distros. So I don't want to take that away from the distros that enable that by default because props to you guys for doing that. Okay, but That's you were cool. talking about setting up a dedicated backup server? Yes. Right? Not and... you're not plugging in a drive to your to your Mac for Time Machine, but nope. so what what are you playing with then? I have taken it upon myself to create a Time Machine server on Linux. And I will well, be dedicating wait, a machine. Wait, a time a Mac OS time machine server on Linux. Oh, all right, yes. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. I like <laughs> this. I like this. Okay. the The alternative is to go out and buy a piece of hardware that just does this over the network, out of the mm-hmm. box. Um, but I I don't really flow that way, right? You're so not. You're so not. Yes, you go against the, you go against the grain. I want as much storage I want as I want. I want to configure the disks the way I want them to be configured. And I want full access to the machine. And I want it to run mm-hmm. Linux because I'm familiar with how those tools work. Okay. And, you know, I've already got a machine there with, like, a bunch of drives in it. So make the most out of it. Yeah. And the the best thing about this is that it happens over the network and I, I set up the server with Samba. I load up some Apple modules just in a config file. Um, these things are built in by default, so you just sort of have to enable them. And um, what uh, what distro are you running for this? So I'm doing it on Fedora at the moment. Ah, uh, okay. And so far, it's worked incredibly well. Essentially, you create this Samba share with a certain amount, uh, like certain permissions and masking, and uh, you enable things like Spotlight for the the backup directories and all that stuff in the server configuration or the the Samba configuration. And so, once you do that, and it's on the network, all you have to do is from any macOS device on your network, when you go to enable Time Machine it'll actually show you network devices and you what? can just choose it. So, it'll okay. Be there permanently. All right. I want to let me back up like five or six <laughs> or seven, maybe years ago. When is the last time, the last time that I bought a, uh, a Mac before, before this new one, right? It was many years ago. And they sold something called, they sold something called a time capsule, which is basically a wireless backup drive. Right. Yeah. 
I thought that if you weren't using a product like that, it was super, super complicated to set up wireless time machine backups. But apparently it's not. Is there like, is there a guide out there that people can consult? There are a couple. Um, I'll definitely, um, I'll drop a couple in the, or actually I'll I'll let you drop a couple in the the description here. And, um, but I was actually, I think it's something that I should probably write up a simplified, um, a simplified guide for, and um, and sort of do it that way. I would love to share that. I mean, because what, what I primarily use Mac OS for still is music production. Yeah. And um, that is something that I want multiple backups for all the time you know if if my external drive fails i want it somewhere else and if that fails i want it somewhere else because there's no getting that stuff back one of my favorite parts about doing it this way as well is that um i would choose you know three or more drives and i would run in a parity raid and Mm. it's not the same as having a backup raid is not a backup this something we should all keep in mind no Definitely but my not. favorite thing about that is, is if I'm going to rely on this machine to be my backup server, you know, I can choose to run it in a way where if a disk fails, I don't lose all of my backups from all of my Mac devices. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. I could just replace the drive. And that's part of the reason why I don't want to rely on a third party solution. I don't know if I'll be able to, to repair a third party solution if a drive fails or mm. if they have that capability in the first place. I don't know what they do on my network, (laughs) you know? (laughs) On top of that, the solution with a a network time machine backup is that you can, and as many Macs as you have, you could just choose that, and they all just can use whatever server you create. You don't have to physically unplug a drive and plug it into your other Mac and let it do that. It's just you wherever you set it up, all of your devices can just, boom, here's our backups. We know where they go and how to get them. Even TVs understand some of these days. So you could also use this solution to store media um, that you would watch on your TV. Okay. All right. Because here's my, okay, here's my, here's my dream. All right. Here's my dream. I have, uh, I have a Thaleo with a, a surprising amount of storage capacity. So I currently have an NVMe drive, two SSD drives, and two deep storage drives that are both uh, two terabytes. And my dream is setting up the Thaleo as kind of my all-in-one backup system, where not only can I back up Mac OS and Windows and, and Linux data, um, but I can also use it as a Steam cache server because as often as I am testing benchmarking games for Will It Linux, that series, or I'm just I'm just reviewing a laptop or, or whatever, like I'm constantly moving around all these drives and downloading new stuff and updating <laughs> the updates. Oh my god, like Yes. Whenever you whenever I plug in, I don't know if it's here. It's a one terabyte uh, external SSD, right? Samsung SSD. And whenever I plug that thing into a new machine, it's just like there's so many updates and it yeah. clogs it clogs the the network bandwidth. And so I want to also use the Thaleo as like the master machine for all of my Steam stuff that I need. 
we are gonna trick out your entire setup let's do it let's make it do you want to let's do (laughs) let's do a video series on it let's do like a two or three part or how whatever it takes like because i've got all the hardware i just need i just need your time and uh a little bit of trial and error and i think that we could do it yeah this is what I live for, right? This is what I enjoy doing. And I think it's part of part of why I was so interested in going to work with System 76 is that like getting tech to do things is just so damn fun for me. Yeah, especially stuff and, that you didn't think like uh, like me today. I didn't think that you yes. could you could the 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 combination of words that you used, right? Like <laughs> wireless time machine backup on a Linux server. I'm like, "What?" Yep. <laughs> Oh yeah. And I the the other thing is too is like I feel like I've sort of created this environment here where like I've tested these different setups and I I've found something that works for me, right? And mm-hmm. so like when you mention something that you want to do, you're like, "Well, I want I want to have an easy way to access this or I want an easy way to like dump all this stuff into the OneDrive but access it to other places," right? I'm just kind of like Get you will not believe what I just spent the last three days doing, <laughs> coincidentally. <laughs> and here we are, <laughs> dude. I'm like the 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 gif of uh from with the whiteboard, and he's like losing his mind. Yo, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's me right now, right? I've just kind of like I've done all this network stuff, and I've set up raid arrays, and I've set up all this to find the easiest but also the most resilient way to do it. <laughs> well, I am, we, we, yeah, let's do it. Whatever we need, man. I got Raspberry Pis, I got Thaleos, I got spare laptops, <laughs> oh like, whatever. You tell me what you oh. need and I will put it on this desk. Well, this oh, has been a really, I love, tech. I love tech too. Tech for everyone, you know, yes. that's to bring it all the way back around. I mean, it's interesting that we're we're having this conversation. I'm not really precisely sure where it will end up living yet. The beauty of it is having a great conversation and figuring the rest out later. Since since this has been a, a pretty Apple dominated, Mac M1 dominated conversation, uh, let's close this out with one thing you think that Apple could do better with Mac OS. What can Apple do better? Oh boy. <laughs> Do you have a long I list? OS, but <laughs> I will say that if I if I were going to pick something, I would say that the window management could be improved. Oh, definitely. That that's. I'm sorry to <laughs> like. It sounds. It sounds like I'm just going to copy your your homework. But that's really that was my answer too. So damn it. Yeah. <laughs> like you could get used to it. You but could. It it definitely does things that you don't expect it to do <laughs> especially especially when like okay yes this has been a very maybe you guys think we're fanboying out about apple here but you know what when i go when i go from pop os cosmic on multiple monitors with that the sublime auto window tiling and i go to mac os i'm just like this is garbage this is garbage it's it is difficult to work around it there, are, there are third-party applications. One's called Amethyst, but that that's that still pales in comparison to Pop's auto tiling. Um, I think the best that Mac OS can do is when you are zoomed in to an app when it's full screen, you can click the little green button and you can, you know, tile another app like to the left or the yeah. right of it. But 
it yeah. it does it automatically for some things too. Like if you're in a zoomed mm. app and you click on a notification, okay, it'll just show up next to it. That's it'll nice. Yeah, that's type. that's pretty cool. But that is the, like the full extent of its ability. But like, come on, Apple, you can't you can't sell you you can't sell something like an M1 Pro or M1 Max MacBook Pro and bring back all the ports that people wanted. And say you can connect this thing to three, uh, what three eight K monitors and a fourth four K monitor, and not give us any kind of auto tiling for all those monitors? Are you out of your mind? You know what the solution actually is? Is that when you run out of space of untiled windows, you just add a monitor? Like all, <laughs> my god! <laughs> sure, I'll auto tile. Let me just plug this in. Hold on. It's just overflow. That's what it actually is. I'll tell you what I'll do. When I when I get, by the time that I can afford uh, a decked out M1 Pro MacBook, I hope I'm running a version of KDE Plasma on it with auto tiling or Pop amazing. OS or Pop OS with auto tiling. Oh. That's what I would rather be doing with it. But That'd be so fun. I'll leave you with this image, okay? I want you to imagine trying to use like the GNOME desktop or Windows 11 with a notch in the new <laughs> MacBook Pro. It's almost like it's almost like Apple said, nope, you're only using yeah. Mac OS on this thing, like it or not, because the experience will be ugly if you don't. I think you should go, I think you should go to sleep. I think I should get some more coffee and, uh, and start editing this, this mountain of content that I have massed for the last few days. Um, damn, dude. Well, Thank you so much. That was great. This felt like a Linux Plus coffee, even though it wasn't. Anyway, good luck at System76. Please come back Thank to us. Uh, I don't know what I'm saying anymore, so I'm just going to go. Come back yeah, to please us. come back to us. Like, what? <laughs> like you're going into some cult. All right, dude. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go. I'm going to go. You have a good one, man. It's always a pleasure, man. It's always yeah. a pleasure. Same to you, dude. All right. Thanks, man. I'll see, see you. Ya. That is our show. At a whopping two hours and 33 minutes, you have just listened to the longest episode in Linux for Everyone history, and uh, we all hope you really, really enjoyed it. Remember that links for everything we discussed and shared with you today is available in the show notes for episode 55. And we also try to get this up as a video so that you can watch our goofy grins and our shenanigans as soon as possible after the audio version is released. Uh, so you can check that out on YouTube and on Odyssey. Thanks once again to our very special guest, Joshua Montgomery of Mycroft AI, and of course to my friends and co-hosts, Jeremy Morrison and Mr. Schickel. And thank you for listening and supporting the show. Until we chat again, you all take care and take care of each other. Sorry, I was tabbed out, so I didn't... <laughs> yeah, you're going to be tabbed out. Uh... <laughs> I don't even know what... I don't even know what that's supposed to mean, but it just sounded I funny. help it. The existence of Ariana Grande also implies the existence of Ariana Venti, Ariana Tall, and... Ariana Grande? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um... I like that. I, I can appreciate that as a former Starbucks barista. We can drink on the clock. What? You can, like, at System76, you can legally... As long as you're not operating heavy machinery or it doesn't wow. interfere with your... Yeah. I love this company. <laughs> yeah, okay. I do too. Okay, cool. All right, here we go.